Hello listeners, it's Adrian here from Arcade Attack and today I've got another super guest on the show. I've got Max Senor, the ex-Sega producer. In this no-holds-barred interview, Mac reflects on the highs and lows of working at Sega, the true relationship between Sega USA and Sega Japan. He shares some great stories. He also reflects on his time at working at Atari and US Gold and lots more in between. So please sit back and enjoy this really good interview with a true retro gaming legend. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Welcome, listeners, to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. I've got another super guest today. We've had him on the a, a blog before uh, with a text interview, but we've got Max Senor, a real Sega legend, another Sega producer. So, Mac, thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Um, uh, I, we do not need to call me a legend at all. Ed. I, that's, I appreciate the, the that, but uh, my ego doesn't need to be struck that much. <laughs> I was very lucky to be there at the right time and work with some great people. Brilliant. So before you, we talk about, because I reckon the bulk of our interview will be about Sega, before we talk about that, how did you get the chance to enter the video game industry? Was, was Sega your first position? And do you remember the first video game you ever worked on? No, I, um, Sega was not anywhere close to the first uh, company that I worked for. Uh, I had been trying to get into the game industry for a long time, and I worked for Bank of America and some big company. I worked for the university here as a programmer and so forth, and always in the background trying to figure out some way to uh, get into the game industry. Uh, I actually wrote a game for the Commodore PET um, that was a complete ripoff of a Broderbund game, uh, Galactic Conquest. And it was a challenge for my friends. We were playing some game, I don't remember what it was, on a Sunday night. And they said, hey, next Sunday, we want to play something different. Mac, write something. And I said, in a week, you want me to write something? Sure. <laughs> and uh, I'd been a, I was a programmer at the university, which was a nine-to-five job. So I would run home and sit on the Commodore PET and write all the stuff. And I wrote this. And so I wrote the complete Galactic Conquest game in one week. And um, everyone was like, hey, this is a great game. What are you going to do next week? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. be satisfied with this amazing, huge game in one week. <laughs> and uh, I showed it to a few friends of mine, and they said, uh, I said you know, you, you could sell that. And I said, probably not legally, <laughs> but let's see if they catch me. So I actually made a, a bunch of cassette tapes and put them in Ziploc bags. That was the days, right? And uh, I went to the local computer store and I said, hey, I've got this thing. Uh, would you be interested in carrying it? And he said, uh, another one of these. I've got a game guy. Okay, sure. Come on. Let's take a look at it. And I said, I'll come back tomorrow and see how many you want. And I went back the next day or the day after. And I said, so uh, you want to put this in your store? And he said, yeah, we'll take 25. Wow. And I said, I said, well, you liked it? He said, yeah, we haven't stopped playing it. Wow. <laughs> he said, really? Since, he, he, since you dropped it off, we put it in. And he said, it's on every one now. <laughs> and and we're, we're having contests with each other. We're playing. He said, this is amazing. Well, it was a total ripoff of an, of an existing game. So I wasn't really worried about the design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it's kind of funny. I, that's, I went to the store where I bought my Commodore from. And, and so they were like, wow, you, you've really gone from a guy that, 
just bought the computer as a fun thing to now you have a published title. Mm. And then a few years went by me trying different things. And then it came down to me having $5 in my pocket. And I'd given notice at my apartment. I was going to have to move back in with the parents. I was 20. I'd been laid off from my computer job. And I answered every looking for a programmer job I could possibly find. And mm. I, uh, there was a two-line ad in the local paper looking for a 6502 programmer. And I completely lied and said, yeah, I know 6502, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had every book, you know, you know, trying to read all these things. And uh, I went to the interview. They interviewed 33 people, one of them being a NASA engineer. <laughs> and uh, I got a call saying, hey, uh, you got the job. You start Monday. And I said, great. He said, you know, you're the only one that actually owns the computer. Wow. That's amazing. Really? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> You kidding me? You did this. Uh, why would you apply for a job to on uh, a computer that you don't own? <laughs> and it wasn't like a you know a hundred thousand dollar machine. The Commodore Pet was I think like seven hundred dollars at the time, which was still a, a fair amount of money. But why would you why would you think that you want to be a programmer for something that you didn't even spend seven hundred dollars for? So I started and I knew absolutely nothing. And that was a company called Hess, which mm -hmm. stands for Human Engineered Software. They later on changed it to Hessware. So I said, so it's human engineer software wear. That's the name <laughs> of the company. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> and uh, me and another fellow, uh, it's terrible English, another fellow and I were hired. He um, at the same started the same day, and uh, they had uh, a license to do ports of uh, a couple of uh, Atari 800 titles. Mm -hmm. And the day before he started, he was a grocery bagger. So he actually worked at a store where he stood at the end of the aisle, and when the products came down from the grocery store, he put them in the bag and would carry them to the car. And that's where he met the CEO of, of Hess, and they got to talking, going to the parking lot, and he said, oh, I really want to be a programmer, and Paul Jane hired him right there on that spot. He said, no, it's going to be Monday. <laughs> and he was... I was 20, and he think I think he was 17 or 16, something like this, and and uh, he made a really good impression. Uh, I will say that uh, later on in, in Paul Jane's life, he went to jail for fraud. Uh, so wow. I wonder about his his ability to, to, to judge people or make these kind of decisions. <laughs> and um, I did a game called uh, Seamus for the Vic 20, which was never published. Uh, I don't think that it was very good. It was the very first 6502 product I'd ever written. And they went with another programmer um, at the very end. Um, and he produced a title that was um, tactically definitely more advanced than, than mine. Uh, and I think probably a better play as far as a port is concerned, but it wasn't very pretty. Right. Um, and uh, there are a few people out there, uh, you'll see them, uh, the, I actually have one, a Seamus box with a sticker over the title of it because uh, the original boxes were printed with my name. No way. So then they put a sticker over it with the with the other programmer's name. on it. I'm not going to give him uh, fame to be able to mention his name, <laughs> but a bunch of stickers on that. So I have a bunch of them with my name and a bunch of them with, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say a bunch, I have a couple with my name and a couple with, with the stickers on them. So the, the people out there that have uh, collectors that have the, that box without the sticker on it, it's made with the sticker, it's somebody else. So it's a collector's item right there. If you have the sticker. sticker. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I, uh, and that's really what launched my career.
and uh, I did. I was a port guy for a while, and uh, then there was the crash in '85. I'm giving you a really long answer. Oh, nice, good. <laughs> and uh, I went to Broderbund, and I learned a really, really important lesson there. And I think everybody that works in the, the wants to work in the game industry should learn this lesson because I learned it the hard way. Which is when you're in the interview and the guy says, "So, do you have any game concepts that you really want to work on?" You just say, "Yeah." And when he says, what are they? You say, well, you know, these kinds of things that I really want, I want to have that are important to me, that, are, that are, are valuable to me. I think I want to hold on to them. Because if you stay there, sit in the interview like I did with uh, Gary Carlston, one of the founders of Broderbund, and he says, so you have any game concepts? If you say, I really want to work on Smokey the Bear, which was um, it's a, at the time was a iconic character with uh, the national parks. So to stop forest fires, it was really, it was, a, it was important uh, Important yeah. character. There were TV commercials, so forth. Very, very well known in our culture at that time. Not so much today. Um, maybe that's why we have more forest fires. But, <laughs> but at that time, he was, he was, it was a, it was on TV and a very well known uh, public character. And I said, I always wanted to work with that character because fire and water are the two hardest things to animate. Mm. Uh, because of the random nature and so forth, and to make them look good, uh, it's hard. To, to do that program programmatically, and I see that as a challenge. And I said that in the interview. Uh, I got the job, and about three weeks later, I'm I'm there, and I'm I'm talking to the different programmers and so forth. And I said, the natural thing, what are you working on? And uh, one of them, his name is Rob, and I have a whole bunch of Rob stories. Uh, and the, the reason I remember his name because <laughs> right. he and I had some great interactions. And he said, oh, I'm working on this great game. It's based on uh, Smokey the Bear. Oh. Gary came in uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he had this great idea. And he basically espoused my entire thing that I said in the interview. And wow. I said, yeah. I said, so uh, did Gary tell you where this concept came from? And he said, yeah, he, he came up with it himself overnight. <laughs> And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I tell you. And one of the other programmers uh, turned to me and he said, that's why you don't mention that kind of stuff in the interview. <laughs> you learned the hard way, Mark. <laughs> yep. And I, I interviewed with iMagic uh, a few, a couple of years later. And they were like, can you give us some game concepts? And I said, nope, I don't give game concepts. <laughs> They're mine. If you want to pay for them as an employee, yes. Yeah. But not in the interview. And uh, so that's a very important thing uh, uh, that I learned over the years. And when I coach people to, to talk to uh, programmers in the game industry, I say, stay away from the real world. We're having a problem with our product. Don't mention it. We have this bug that we're trying to solve. Don't mention it. Don't make that a programming challenge because you're using this person for free. And that's not how we want to represent ourselves as a company. Mm -hmm. And um, Actually, uh, you and I were talking about before about uh, uh, develop our work with uh, TKO that's just long since gone. And I actually walked into an interview and stopped it, uh, a programmer interview, because that's exactly what they were doing. They had a, we had a bug that we were trying to deal with is with the engine. And they thought, hey, that'd be a really good challenge for programmers that were interviewing is to give right. them this bug that we're having a challenge with. Let's see what they, what, what their ideas are. And I went back to the interview and said, this interview's over until you guys come up with something better. And I apologized to the guy and I um, I said, you got to come back tomorrow. Uh, luckily, he was local. He said, you've got to come back tomorrow and we're going to come up with a better way to interview. This interview is over. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, we don't do this. Mm. I said, we have integrity. You can't have integrity Monday, not have it on Tuesday, and have it again on Wednesday. This company has integrity. We're going to stick with it. And we're not giving this kind of thing 
to have a, get free labor. We don't do that. Yeah. And I, I pushed him all uh, out of the office and came back the next day with a, a better actual test for him that <laughs> didn't involve our actual product. And I believe he got the job. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's really, that's the kind of thing. You can keep your integrity and hire good people. You don't have to throw away your integrity to, to find somebody good. Mm. Nice. Oh, a really long answer for your question. <laughs> no, really, really fascinating. And getting an idea of your sort of mindset as well, Mac. Really appreciate it. Um, Okay, well, so say, it was Sega the next step then, or? Oh, no, I, I, um, I joined, there was a, 1983 was the video game crash. Of course, yeah. So I, I joined the army, which is very, very much like the game industry. So much like the game industry, it's scary. You don't get to pick who you work with. People who are, that you're reporting to don't necessarily know their job. They're not leaving, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> and their focus is not about actually good making good product their product right. their focus is to whatever the need is of the day yeah right so there were lots of parallels i had a great time in the army in hindsight uh, i'm really glad that i went there this is one of the things that that mike latham and i disagree with as far as our philosophies are concerned uh, i had a great time there and but even while i was in the in the army i was working with a company called origin systems which did uh, ultimas and a number of different titles and yes. um they had a title uh, that they had published through EA called The Ring. I, I don't believe it was based on the movie, wow. The Ring, but it was an adventure. It's one of those go north, go south type things with pictures, right? Mm -hmm. Very much a Sierra type online adventure type, Sierra online adventure type game. And uh, they thought they had sold about 25, 30,000 copies, which then was a really big, uh, that's a worthwhile title to make a port of, and they wanted me to do the Commodore 64 version of it. And remember, I'm in the army, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty busy, and I can't tell my boss, you know, hey, can I leave a little bit early? <laughs> so I was working at night, and uh, I talked to uh, Dallas Snell, who would come in to play at Sega when I was there. Um, and uh, I talked to him on a Monday, and he said, well, we have this stuff mm. from the ring. We're going to send it to you. you know, let me know what you can do with it, and the, this is the game and so forth. And I got it on a Tuesday, they FedExed out to me, and I'm looking at it, and I said, oh, you know, I think I could do this. So then uh, that Friday, I had um, the day off for some reason, I don't remember why. And I, so I drove down from, uh, I was just so lucky to be in the area of Origin Systems, I drove down there. And they said, well, yeah, thanks for returning the materials. And I said, no, no, I have a little demo. And they said, demo? What are you talking about? And I said, well, you wanted to see what I could do in the game. I, at least, I spent, you know, four days working on the, the this demo. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so you know, what can you do in four days? And I said, well, let me show you. And at this point, you know, my 6502 skills were pretty high. <laughs> and so writing something in 6502 was incredibly easy for me to do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not exactly hard now, but it was then it was just like, think, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> So um, I had almost the complete game done. All I had to do was had more pictures, and you could do the you could do the different directions, you could do the different commands, and so forth. Very easy to do, actually. Um, uh, at that time, it was really easy to do. And uh, I showed them how to do this, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is we didn't think you could get anywhere close to you know the months. I said, no, no, this part's easy, and so forth. It's the dealing with the images that, that's going to be the hard part, trying to fit it all onto a, a floppy and so forth. Yeah. And um, 
then a week went by and they, they called me in the phone and said, we're incredibly impressed with this. You did a great job, but we're canceling the project. And I'm like, what, what, what did I do wrong? What happened? And they said, well, we found out from EA that we had 25,000 in sales, but we, we had 20,000 returns. Oh, no. <laughs> it only sold about 5,000 copies, so it's not worth actually doing the port. <laughs> and they were they felt really bad, uh, I think, needlessly. I mean, this, this is a business decision that makes perfect sense. But they had me in, and they treated me like uh, the wonderful child that came out of nowhere. You know, they, they just were just really nice to me. Um, Rich Garriott and Dallas Snell were, were polite and tried to get me stuff that I could do. And there were things that they actually gave me that I said, you know what? I'm not the guy to do this. I'm not the good guy to do this title. I don't believe in this title. They were doing some things, um, uh, some games that did well that I just said, you know, I don't think this is the type of title that I want to work on. And um, uh, and so the relationship separated, um, but nicely on both sides. And But I had an office in their uh, uh, offices in uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, they kept my office like a, like a little shrine. Nobody used that office, even though I was only there for like one day a week. <laughs> that wow. was the snacks office. <laughs> and uh, I, so I have a, a good story about uh, Rich Garriott, if you'd like to hear that one. Please, yeah, what, what a legend, yeah. Um, a very nice guy. And um, so I had this office, and I would show up like two hours once a week. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I went into the office on a Saturday. And I'm I'm working on whatever I was assigned to or just you know, things I had needed to. And I looked down at my desk, and there's a roll of cash on my oh, desk. Wow. And I thought, oh, well, somebody's giving me a bonus. That's kind of nice. <laughs> and I thought, I said, this clearly is not for me. But you know, I wonder what it is. I open it up, and it's, it's rubber band. I open it up. It's $3,000 in cash. And I was a student at that point. I, I had been picked to go to an ROTC program. So I was uh, a college student. So $3,000 was like tuition for like five or six years and yeah. food. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of money. So I thought, who could be in my office <laughs> that would have a roll of $3,000 and forget <laughs> that he put it on my desk? So <laughs> I can only be Rich Garrett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's a Saturday and there were cleaning people walking around. I thought, I'm not leaving $3,000 on my desk. I've got to put it in my in my pocket. So I put it in my pocket and then I went back like four days later because that's how often I would go to my, my office. And I've been carrying this thing around all this time. I, I was afraid to put it down anywhere. Right? <laughs> and so I came in. I said, hey, Rich, I need to talk to you a little bit. And I said, I've got this roll of cash. I found it on my desk. He goes, that's where I put it. <laughs> he said, I totally forgot that. And I, said, I made another one. Because I thought I'd lost that three thousand dollars. Wow! <laughs> so here, here we are. And remember, I'm a starving student, right? You know. Yeah. And he goes, he says, so. Uh, so I, he said, I really appreciate that. I said, well, you know, there were cleaning people coming, and I wasn't sure, you know, you know, what to do. And I said, I didn't want to tell anybody that I had this money, you know, and so forth. And I said, so you know, I'm glad it went back to the the rightful owner. And he laughed. He said, yeah, I probably am the only one in the office walking around with three thousand dollars. Yeah, you're right. And then. Um, I said, well, I'll see you later. He goes, well, hold on. He said, what's your tuition this uh, this year? And I said, it's about well, $250. He goes, ah, here you go. And he takes the $3,000 and he rounds off $300. He goes, there you go. That's a reward for turning the, the, the money back oh, in. Wow. I appreciate that. And uh, it, it was a godsend uh, as far as I was trying to figure out how I was going to do that and books and all these things. And I said, for him to pay for that uh, was just a, an amazing thing for me. And uh, I've told that story to him several times and he doesn't remember that at all. 
<laughs> he doesn't remember the interaction. Doesn't remember the three thousand dollars. I think about it. I'm like, hey, you know what, Rich? Just just put that in your back pocket. <laughs> as, as you did, you did the right thing. That was the right thing to do. <laughs> and so anyway, comes up to you and gives you a hard time. He's like, well, you know, there was this one time. <laughs> and, well, that's uh, a lovely question. And that's where I met uh, Chris Roberts, actually, uh, and, and uh, he and I have had several interactions. And he also doesn't remember me, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, he and I have had, uh, and he's fairly famous now. I think uh, having Winkle done, Mike, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he um, he did this. He's working on this game. I don't know, uh, Star Citizen. I think is the name of it. <laughs> So he's uh, he's definitely busy now, yeah. and uh, and he'd done a, quite a few titles, uh, a couple of the titles that were pretty famous, Wing Commander and so forth. But he was working on Times of Lore when I was there, and uh, so we he and I had lots of good, good interactions and uh, an interesting fellow, to say the least. Uh, but he doesn't remember me. But uh, you know, think about it. That was what eighty eight. So you know, he's got a lot of things have happened to him uh, since then. So I don't blame him for that at all. Uh, but I really enjoyed my time there. And then, um, and then right after that was uh, Sega. Uh, I interviewed at Sega to be uh, developer technical support in the U.S. They had no developers, uh, but they realized they needed a support person. And my boss, um, uh, Steve uh, Hanawa, was his name. Uh, Steve was not his real name, but he wanted an American name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, which, is, which I understand, but he knew Dallas Snell, and uh, it was between me and uh, several other people, and uh, I had put Origin Systems on my resume, so he called up Dallas Snell and said, so what do you think of this Mac guy? And Dallas said, uh, well, you know, we had ups and downs, some positives uh, working with him, some negative things that he wouldn't work on or didn't want to work on, and he said, but Mac is a great communicator. Mm. And uh, people like talking to Mac. So if you're talking about a developer support person, you're, that's a, a great role. And uh, because of that, uh, Steve hired me. And um, I launched part two of my, my career of, of being a, going from programmer and uh, uh, to more of a, a support and production role. And uh, without that, I don't think we'd be talking. I think uh, I would have been a, a programmer at some insurance company or something. So, <laughs> so uh, that made it it's a huge, huge fork in the road as far as I'm concerned. And um, my first office was a, uh, a uh, storage room in South San Francisco. And uh, I've been back to that building uh, actually uh, last year. And I walked in and I said, I said, have you guys ever heard of Sega? And they're like, yeah. And I said, they used to be right here. Wow. No, really? <laughs> no, no, no. And I said, yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> and I, it's kind of like going back to your old house and saying, hey, I used to live here. <laughs> yeah. But being able to you know, go walk in and say, well, this is where this is. This is where that is. This is where my office used to be. And I went back to my first office there, and, and they'd put it back into a storage room. There were mops and buckets and so forth. And that's what had been there before I started working. So I was like, hey, full circle. <laughs> and uh, uh, offices were, were uh, tough to come by in that office, in that, that building. And so I actually got pushed out to a cubicle that was so small uh, that I could work on computer here. And if I needed a reference manual, I would just turn my chair. I didn't have to move the chair. I just rotated. <laughs> and I was right in front of the, the bookcase with all the Sega information. And um, 
one of the, the stories, my, my actually my sister's favorite story, uh, she reminds me about on a regular basis, even though that's what 8990, right? Um, the Japanese names are were always tough for me to pronounce. So I would write them on, on the, the card uh, phonetically. Mm. So I would remember exactly how to pronounce it because it's important. Uh, you know, I want my name pronounced correctly and other people want their names pronounced correctly. If I want to make a good impression on these people and, and gain their trust, first thing should be to pronounce their name correctly. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? And, you know, they're not, the names are not Smith and Jones, you know, <laughs> those are both symbolic and then and so forth and, and then, oh, stuff. So uh, the most famous one was Mr. Hasakawa. And I, I, unfortunately, I cannot tell you what he does for the company or did for the company, but I wrote, how's your cow uh, on his little card? So I would remember, yeah. how's your cow, uh, how's the cow, right? Well, I did that with every single one of them and one and on a Rolodex. And uh, Steve's um, assistant came in to my tiny little cube area and she said, you need to talk to, oh, how's the cow, that's the funniest thing. And she went through my entire Rolodex <laughs> to see all the different, all the different versions of people's names, and she would say something. You need to in a meeting. She would say, you know, the cow guy. You need to call him. <laughs> uh -huh. So I would make the make that connection, so forth. And she teased me about that for I think about a year. <laughs> but yeah. she said, she said, I tease you about this. She said, but it's brilliant because you're the only one that they talk about that pronounces everybody's names right. Well, there you go. She said, when I talk to them, they don't like Joe and the Smith and, you know, all these other people, but they like you because you say their name correctly. <laughs> You're putting forth that effort. Have you still got the Rolodex yeah. that long gone then? Pardon me? She still had the Rolodex. No, 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 no. Uh, actually, it's one of those things that, that Sega made sure I didn't take with me. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, when I, when I left after after four years there, as, as they they like inspecting, make sure I'm not taking my Rolodex with me. I'm like, yeah, because yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking to Mr. Hasakawa. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, I love the, being the developer support there. And I was a conduit. Developers would come and say, I have this question. And the Sega Genesis manual is about yay thick and hardly understandable. Uh, translated by a Canadian that didn't speak English. <laughs> Right. That's, that's really what it was. It was. It was. It, they gave him the Japanese book, and he was in Canada. They used a contractor. And here, translate this to English, and he didn't know English very well. And uh, so that it, it's just uncomprehensible un for a lot of people. And and there were just parts of it that just made no sense, or they were contradictory. Mm. And um, we're always finding things in the machine that we could do that that aren't in the book at all. <laughs> and uh, so I would get phone calls. Uh, or faxes uh, and uh, before email saying, could you explain page 72? <laughs> we don't understand this at all. <laughs> and I would go, yeah, this makes no sense. So then I would think, all right, this has to do with this part of the Genesis. So that means that uh, I need to talk to this guy. So I'd write a fax to whoever it was and say, page 72, there seems to be some confusion, you know, so forth. Could you please uh, expand upon the topic? And I think that you're probably aware that these days, along with this interview and other interviews, there are uh, lots of documentaries on the relationship between Sega and Nintendo and Tom yeah. Kalinske, who's a great guy and so forth. And I saw a book, I think I actually have it on my shelf of, of the history of Sega, how Sega Japan and Sega America worked really closely together. Uh, can I swear? That's complete bullshit. Is it really? <laughs> 
100% bullshit. That is just made up revisionist history for people that want to make themselves or other people look good. Um, you cannot find a bigger conflict than Sega Japan and Sega of America. Uh, it, they, on every single level, any single way that, that they could they could fight about something, they would try to about something, which included my job. Oh. Uh, the Sega Genesis had these dev boards that were these like little things that you would you would burn EPROMs and put them in the machine and, and hopefully your, your product would work. And when I started, um, there was one other tactical person and he was the hardware guy, Noel Polito, who was a great guy. And he was uh, very energetic and, and he's like, 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 hey, we got to figure all this stuff out. And like, and I was like, and I said, like, what? What are you figuring out? What do we have to do? And he said, well, we don't know how to make burning e-props. <laughs> we don't know really any of this stuff. And I'm like, and I, and he said, we have these dev boards. We can't get any of our product to actually work. And Sega Japan is no help. So we need you to talk to them and figure out how to do this. Wow. So I'm looking at the back of the board, and I, and I, I said, I sent off a fax about, can you walk us through the process of burning e-props? Because we know that you do that. And they wrote back, and they said, well, we just use our development system. Thanks very much for contacting us. Like, uh, wow, that's not an answer to this question. Uh -huh. So I tried to rephrase the question to be more specific and never really got an answer. And then I'm looking at the board and in my, my tiny little cube and Noel standing outside because he really can't stand in this other cube with me. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at the back of it and I said, you notice how it's zigzagged? So the, the, the lines go back and forth. Why do you think that is? And he said, I said, well, there's two chips. So it's probably reading one chip and then the other chip. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. You don't need a zigzag for that. Mm. What if it's pulling the even bite from this one and the odd bite from this one and then zipping back and forth? And that's why it's all zigzagged on the back. And he said, well, well I don't know. We've never thought about that. And I said, well, can we take the files that we have and cut them up that way? And he said, I bet you we can. So we, we went in and, and we took the binaries of um, uh, golden axe and we're looking at them and think hey wait a minute that's right it is the this this first EPROM holds all the even ones the other EPROM holds holds all wow. the bits and that's how you put it together and I said well let's so I said I had a good relationship with one developer and I said can you give me or write this program that I actually take any binary and it's a solid binary that comes out of our development system and split it up into two pieces. And he said, oh, sure. And like two hours later, mm. here you go. And we ran it on the binaries that we had and we burned the EPROMs and it worked. Incredible. So, hey, this is great. This is all we discovered this great thing. So I'm, out, I'm writing this letter to Sega Japan. I was like, hey, we've got the software that splits it out. Do you want this? This is really cool. This is really easy to do this. And they wrote back, yeah, we've had this for two years. Thanks very much. Oh. I'm like, so you knew all along that it was back and forth, split into two pieces, and despite my numerous faxes to you, never told us this, and you had the software and never offered it and so forth. And that's really, that happened like in the first two or three weeks of me working at Sega, and that's when I realized Sega Japan and Sega America don't like each other. And I went to Steve Hanno and I said, do you understand why they would do this? Am I saying something wrong? Is it a cultural thing? Am I doing my job poorly? And he said, you're doing exactly what you want you to do and understand Sega Japan thinks Sega of America is the enemy. They will not help you. They will do anything in their power to make sure that you are not successful. So <sighs> keep that in mind. You're good. He said, you're doing great. Nobody's offended by you. That's really what I wanted <laughs> to make sure that nobody was offended. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my job is not to offend people. Yay. <laughs>
And, um, incredible, isn't it? I did all kinds of crazy things and so forth. And um, as far as, as from a tactical standpoint, getting things to work and people uh, coming up with questions and so forth, I rewrote the, the joystick routine for the Genesis and then um, I sent that out to the developers. I, I created a bulletin board system where people could log in and download all the lists of, of various different pieces of software that were supposed to be in the book that, that I rewrote. Um, some of them were pretty small things, but the joystick one is the thing that I, that I am most proud of. It was, I don't know, some gigantic joystick reading routine originally from the book. Um, I don't remember how many bytes it was, but it was huge. I think it was like over a thousand bytes. Of, of code and I wrote it down to like 200 <laughs> and so now all of a sudden you had this because you had to use it yeah. it was required you had to use the joystick routine and I rewrote it to around 200 or 150 right around in there and it worked great and it was I said you can use this one or you can use this one if you have a space issue well it gave people so many more bytes to play with as far as yeah. space yeah. is concerned and back then space was incredibly important so and I, I had a great time there as a debt developer technical support, but almost every day I was in Clyde Grossman's office saying, I'd like to be a producer now. Can I be a producer now? How about now? 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 Is that okay? How about now? <laughs> and he really got tired of that. <laughs> and I don't blame him. But I was very persistent about wanting to be a producer. Mm -hmm. And uh, there have been a couple of uh, producer positions open that I've been passed over for. And finally, I just said, I, I don't understand why I'm being passed over. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I get it. Because so I've got eight years' experience. I did uh, this game and that game, this game, this game won. Uh, I did Alpha Build for Fisher Price when it won a CES Design Award. Wow, uh, what wow. more do I need to do <laughs> to be a producer? And uh, uh, by that time, we'd moved over to the Redwood City office. And uh, all right, to me, this is a funny story. I was still developing technical support, and they moved us into the the, the big building. On Ralston, off of Ralston Avenue, which was this big road that came down from the mountains, and they picked this because one of the senior people in the company lived off this road, and he wanted to have a ten-minute commute. That's how they picked that building. That's the only that's, wow. that's the only reason. So they put us in, and they put us all in cubes, including Ken Balthaser, who was like the head of product development. They put him in a cube. That was a bigger cube, but it was still in a cube. I'm like, I don't understand. How can you possibly put somebody who's two levels above me in a cubicle? I don't get this. And then as I'm I'm doing the wiring for all the all the network stuff, I, I Ken comes by and says, says, "How's it going?" And I said, "Well, do you realize we only have in our product development area two open cubicles? So they really think uh, how long are we going to supposed to be in this building? Oh, probably four years." I said, "So you think in four years we're only going to hire two people?" <laughs> I, 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 that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And I don't, I don't think I was the only one to point out that that we barely fit into that building. But we moved over to another building that was just across the parking lot uh, and right on the freeway uh, about six months later. And we were there for the rest of my time. I was at Sega, and um, that building was fantastic. Um, and it was very isolated from all the other things that were going on. And when I started at Sega, I was employee number 63. And when I left, there were 680. Whoa. So you've seen the, wow, you've seen the company explode in front of your eyes, really, haven't you, Mac? Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, my entire time there. I learned a lot about how to make good product, how to make bad product. I watched um, 
uh, uh, trying to remember the name of the product. I know the producer, uh, who's Steve, uh, um, uh, Stuart Kosoy, who's, who's passed away recently. Um, um, it was some planet saving thing. And he, he figured out something really important um, that I, I think it, even then I didn't understand. And now I'm not sure I understand, but he figured out that as far as he was concerned, it was more important for him and the, I assume the developers to enjoy the process of making the game uh, rather than actually the final product being something that you like spend nights and weekends trying to make better. Mm. He spent three months in Paris on the company's dime <laughs> and had a fantastic, fantastic time in, in Paris at a hotel where they paid off all the food and expenses plus his salary and so forth. And he had a fantastic time and he produced one of the worst Genesis titles ever. <laughs> But it didn't matter because he had a great time in Paris. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the title. I'm sure. I'm sure people listening are going, yeah, I know that title. It's like Planet. Uh, it's something. Something having to do with a, a captain who was uh, Captain big, Planet. Uh, captain Planet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Captain Planet. Well, I've played. I've played the Mega Drive version. It is. It's a very bad game. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he spent three months in Paris on the company's dime. Wow, and, he, and he, didn't, he didn't feel that guilty. But well, no, because his focus wasn't to make great games; it was to have a great experience making games. I, I get it in a way; it does make sense, really, in a way. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, 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 I have not spent three months in Paris when somebody else was paying the bill. Somehow, <laughs> I feel like I missed out, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. I, uh, but you could also say we wouldn't be having this discussion if that was really my focus. But no. that was his focus, and I don't blame him. That that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to have a great experience doing these things, so that he could look back when when he's my age now, <laughs> or or later, and say I spent three months in Paris. It was the greatest time of my life. I, I can't really blame him for that. But that was his focus, and I understand that. Um, and uh, and overall, a pretty good guy. Uh, but definitely a, a unique character in there. If you look back at, at Sega in general, they were all really unique characters. And um, one of the things I would say about Clyde Grossman is that he did a really good job protecting us, uh, sometimes from each other, <laughs> but also from the outside world as far as uh, what was actually happening in, in the rest of the company. Uh, because development was in its own building, marketing would come by and so forth and and uh, we would see all these different things and it's like okay great and then they would leave and I had no idea what the politics of what was going on and the other there, when you had go from 63 to 680 there's a lot of politics and of people things that are going on um, but uh, I have a wall in my house here of people that I got to meet and it's all because of my time at Sega mm -hmm. uh, I uh, did not get to talk to Michael Jackson when he walked past uh, my cubicle that's, but I didn't yeah. get to see him, and, and, and I waved, and he nodded in my direction. And um, Ken Balthaser was gone at that point, but Joe, and I can't remember Joe's last night. Unfortunately, he's passed away as well. Um, but Joe was in charge, and he was uh, definitely a flamboyant kind of guy, nice guy. And we were standing at the coffee station, and we knew Michael Jackson was coming in, and we told told you know to clear out of the office and all those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. And, uh, and I turned to Joe, and I said, Joe, I realize he put out no autographs, but I just want to make it real clear. The situation comes up. 
If Michael asks for my autograph, I'm just going to walk in, sign whatever he wants me to sign, and I'll leave. I won't ask any questions. <laughs> Very good. And, and Joe had his cup of coffee in his hand, and he put it down, and he put his hands on his knees. He said, that's the funniest things I've heard all year. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible he even came into the office, isn't it? It's absolutely, you can't make that up, really. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But he was but a big really, Sega fan, wasn't he, apparently? Oh, a huge Sega fan. But we had lots of different people. Um, so I'm going to tell one of my favorite Sega stories. Okay, you ready? <laughs> okay. So I was working on a Vander Holyfield box for the Game Gear. Okay. And uh, I, fantastic title as far as I'm concerned. I really enjoyed working on it because it's very personal. And um, well, that reminds me I have a second story to tell about that one. <laughs> so um, Joe Frazier came into the office. Wow, he was yeah. a big Sega fan and uh, been the world champion. I mean, he was a little bit on the older side, of course, still not fighting at that point. But uh, he came into the office and Clyde Grossman came to me and said, hey, the Genesis guys are who's working on a band Hollyfield. They're gone for some reason, but you need to talk to this guy because you're our, you're our boxing guy. I'm like, I don't know, I ended up being the boxing guy. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> and it was just in development. We had like some screens and that was it. And it wasn't playable. So I couldn't have him play it. He said, well, just talk to him. Mm. So I said, okay, you don't have anything to talk to him about. So I, I'm going to, you know, babysit him for, for a few hours. Sure, sure. So I gave him a tour of the production office, just like Joe had done with Michael Jackson. I thought, well, you know, if Joe could do it with Michael Jackson. I can do it with, with Joe Frazier. And... Uh, uh, side story is when I was nine years old, I actually bet on him <laughs> in boxing. And I told him that story. He said, well, I, said, I don't think I won that one. I said, no, you cost me uh, two bottles of Coke. Thank you very much. <laughs> and he apologized and all this kind of stuff. And I'm showing him uh, Streets of Rage because mm. I didn't have a, we had no demo version of either boxing game, the Game Gear or Genesis. Mm. And he saw, he got the box, he got the stance on it wrong. And he's an older gentleman. He didn't quite understand that this was not the same title. He said, let me show you how to box. <laughs> so we're standing in the in the QA area, and it's just the, the where we're demoing this is just two cubicle walls, and then the you know wall of the building, right? So yeah. it's not like a closed off office area. So that QA people are like hanging all over. This is Joe Frazier, yeah, yeah. So there's a big crowd. I'm like, okay, sure, you know. Uh, and I'm, I, I think I weighed like 150 pounds. <laughs> So, you know, so I'm the skinny little guy, you know, <laughs> he's like, yeah. I've seen stance. I'm like, yeah, I would know. So I, you know, I just, you know, <laughs> yeah, pretty silly. He says, okay, fine. Now take a swing at my head. I'm like, wow. <laughs> he said, no, don't do full action. He said, because, you know, full speed. He said, because you'll probably hit me. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm not going to hit Joe Frazier in the head. <laughs> and uh, no matter how fast I am, there's no way I'm going to hit him in the head. He said, but just do it like half speed. I said, yeah. Okay. And I'm trying to think, what is half speed for me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm like, you know, I, I really just like this. And right when I got to this point, right? Yeah. He ducks underneath my hand and hits me in the stomach. Like, <laughs> like this. Ooh. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks. That's great. And they and then they he said, Well, I gotta go back over to, to you know Clyde Grossman's office. So they wander off and the manager comes over to me and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he goes, Not eating lunch today, are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no. Oh, but from then on, I, I and what's in my mind is is Joe Frazier hit me in the stomach. And... I mean at the time that, that hurt obviously, Mac, but what an incredible experience when you look back at it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and now I'm, like, I'm thinking this is great. It did take a day to recover. Um, and then uh, the two other parts of the story is that uh, Buster Douglas, we did a Buster Douglas boxing, I think, or something like that. It had some interaction with him. And I told him this story, and he said, you want me to hit you in the stomach? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> and then uh, I told the, uh, told the story to Evander Holyfield, and he said, so really? You just want me to hit you in stomach, don't you? <laughs> I'm like, no. He, <laughs> said, I, he said, I'm happy to. I said, no. <laughs> he said, it'd be fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's and I thought that was the funniest thing. And uh, that's that's the kind of things that, that you know, Stuart has his, his three months in Paris. I have Joe Frazier hitting me in the stomach. And, and the other two champions uh, are volunteering to do the same sort of thing. And uh, those are the kinds of stories that, that I live with the rest of my life. Um, I will tell you that there are as many stories about Sega that, that don't make it look good. <laughs> but well, I like to yeah. sit on more of the positive things. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I did a task for the, the Game Gear. And um, uh, it was based on the Genesis version. And we couldn't do all the title, all the levels. So I designed a couple of the levels, mm. and uh, uh, I actually have a design credit uh, on their on their credit screen. I'm very happy about that. Uh, I will have to be honest and say that was my idea to include me, but <laughs> but then they said, "Yeah, you know what? Kind of think about Mac did design those three levels. Yeah, he should be on there, <laughs> so forth." And uh, uh, so uh, I was happy to be a part of that. Yeah. And then um, there was a. Uh, that was a fork in the road as far as my career with marketing and, and Sega. Um, the marketing person that worked on that, he didn't like the first level. And I said, you know, the first level is all about Taz and spinning, and, and you need to learn how to do that. It's essential to the rest of the game. But it's really hard. I'm like, yeah. This, the first thing you yeah. learn is how to do this. So the first level is going to be difficult, and then you're going to use that to solve the problems of the other levels. That's how the Genesis version works. That's how mine works. And I designed this idea of uh, Taz being on a rock and, or having to jump over this big rock or this rig rock coming down like Indiana Jones kind of yeah. thing. And then um, one of the programmers pointed out that he could easily jump over it. So I put a, one of the mouse, one of the mouse, one of the nieces, a mouse <laughs> with, a, with a, uh, a weapon on top of the rock. And the artist pointed out that the, the if the rock is rolling this way and the mouse is facing this way, that means they have to be running backwards. I'm like, yeah, they're very talented mice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, this is animation. We can get away with that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> Sorry, you, know you can jump off a big bit, a big ledge, and land in a glass of water. Trust me, you can run backwards on a on a, on a yeah, rock. Yeah. That's not a big deal. <laughs> and I think the greatest compliment uh, that I got uh, from Warner Brothers on that level was they then turned that into uh, part of a Taz episode. Nice. Like a year and a half later, I'm just like wa randomly watching the Saturday morning cartoons. Being a being a video game producer, you do that kind of thing. And I'm watching Taz. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cute. Yeah. And then where he is he? He's running down a mountainside, and there's this big rock with a mouse on top of it, <laughs> chasing That's him. I'm like, hey, there's no way <laughs> they came up with that super. They had to have played the game and seen that. There's no way. And it was about a year and a half later. That's about the time the animation takes. So I said, that's got to be, that's gotta be what that is. Well, the marketing guy really wanted that level changed. And I said, I just don't know how to make this easier. You're, you're double jumping. We need to teach them how to do that and we're learning how to spin. So I can put some more health things in there. 
but those are the 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 base bones of the rest of the game you can't do these other levels without learning how to do that well and uh, so we we, we got to be able to do that and he said well it's just going to be terrible and um he'd send it off to some magazine and so forth and they wrote back and they said the first level is really hard but we liked level two and three that's all that was done at that point he said see proof that it should be done you're wrong and i said no i'm going to stick to my guns uh, this is this is what something you have to do and so he um was not happy with that response right. so he ordered fewer of that title he's not going to sell well because that first level is so bad <clears throat> so he ordered only uh, eighty thousand copies of it and um then he had to do a reorder and a reorder huh. and it ended up selling 1.1 million copies. There were only 1.2 million Game Gears in existence. Incredible. The only title to outsell it in numerically was Sonic and Sonic was a pack-in. <laughs> okay, included with the Game Gear. That's amazing. Yeah. And yet this guy was buying 80,000 at a time. And so every time he had to do a reorder, he was reminded that Mac was right, Mac was right, Mac was right. And that just, you know, it's like, <laughs> so he was not, not a, a big Mac fan, to put it that way. And that leads into Gunstar Heroes. When yes. Yes. Um, it was presented to the different producers, and it's it presented as Clyde walking in, here's some EPROMs, play this game, let me know if you want it. That's, that's what the presentation was to every producer, <laughs> right? And uh, we were allowed four titles, and I had two. And so I had two empty spaces. And so I was on the list, but I was last on the right, list. Right, right, right. came to me and he said, everybody else has turned this down. They, they don't want to work on it. They don't think it's going to sell well. It's up to you. So it's either you or it goes in the trash. It's up to you. Wow. Yeah. And I, I said, okay. And I said, this is the title that I would like that I would work on. And he said, I have no idea. He said, but everybody has to say no before I can say, tell them no. So I put it in and I played it for about two minutes and I threw down the controller on the floor. And I said, this is game of the year. Yeah. And Mike Latham, who was sharing a cube wall with me, stood up and he's not a tall fellow. <laughs> but the And the walls are not that tall. So we're like, like eye level like this. And he said, Mac, don't say that. And I said, no, this is game of the year. And he said, don't say that. that this, no. He said, I turned that title down. There's no way. And I said, no. It, it, I, I can tell you, this is game of the year. And it, it seems in hindsight like, wow, Mac was really brilliant. But at the time, I took so much fire for that comment. <laughs> and um, it, I just can't explain it to you. The number of people that came out and said, Mac, why would you say such a stupid thing? <laughs> <laughs> And, and like, no, this is nearly that good. And uh, I could just kept playing it. And Clyde Grossman came to me and he said, uh, I understand you think this is game of the year. And I said, I don't think this is game of the year. I know this is game of the year. Wow. And he said, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. He said, everybody else is doing these really big characters. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about, um, we're always finding things in the Genesis that we could do that we didn't know you could do because the documentation was so bad. Well, one of those things is we could make double height characters just by hitting a switch. Mm. So it went from small to really big without changing the art at all, <laughs> right? So we did World Series baseball. And if you remember, it was like baseball player from the knees and shoulders, so forth. Well, it's a double high sprite. Well, when I first started Sega, we didn't know you could do that. Wow. The developers of Spider-Man figured that out. 
right? So now that's what made World Series Baseball possible because we can do the double wide sparts, right? So now every producer, I, I want this in my game. I want to use double. I want the bad guy, the boss of this level to be double height. I mean, all those kinds of things. And Gunstar Heroes, all these guys were small. Really small, yeah, yeah. Really small. So so Clyde's like, these are really small characters. Everybody's going double white. I mean, heaven's name, do you think this is going to be popular? And I said, you know, there's just a, they designed every level so well that you, you learn uh, a new skill. And that, and when as you learn that skill, it allows you to accomplish that level. You go to the next one, and it builds on it. And that's really what taught me about how to do these type of games that are waves. And that you make it difficult, and it gets easier as you learn the skill. And then the next level, you're using three or four of those same skills that you learned previously, plus one new one that, that you have to learn to be able to finish this level. Mm. Every single time, as you're learning, crash down to the bottom because down to the bottom you got to learn a new skill, and you build on it. Right? It's not a flat line; it's it's a, it's a scaling line. Mm. So you're constantly learning, and at the end of the game, you have wow, there are all these twenty new things that you can do that you didn't know even one of them at the beginning of the game. Right? Treasure did a fantastic job of doing it, and that's how Gunstar Heroes really worked. I said, wow, this just plays really well. And he said, okay, you can take it, but. <laughs> <laughs> we wish you luck. <laughs> yeah. All right, sure, go, uh huh. And um, a lot has been made over the years about like my influence on the title. Um, my feeling is, and and Treasures never said anything to me that um, they had actually no idea that there was a U.S. producer. <laughs> and really? No idea who I am now or was then. The the only thing that I because they didn't speak any English. So I had to go through Henry Giesen, who was my contact with Sega Japan. He's Canadian and didn't hate Sega of America. He did not hate Sega of America, right? So he and I got along really well. He would come into the U.S. and I was his driver. And I would drive him anywhere. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, said, he said, you know, you're, you're a producer. You really shouldn't be my driver. And I'm like, yeah, I should. Uh, I'm gonna make sure, oh, I said, I'm going to make sure that when you go back to Sega Japan, you can say there's one good guy at Sega of America. And, I, and if it means me being your driver, picking you up at the hotel, taking you to work, that's what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he and I were really close at the time, the time when I worked at Sega. And um, uh, in any case, so I had sent faxes to him. He would translate it into Japanese. And there's one level, and I can't tell you which one it was because I don't remember, where they had Hitler as the bad guy, boss. Oh yeah, and I said, yeah, you know what? You can you can keep that artwork, but you got to get rid of the mustache. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, if if it wasn't with the mustache, you wouldn't know. And the next build I got didn't have the mustache. Okay. So I think, all right, whoo, hey, producer made an effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had an effect on that game, and uh, but the main thing about it was simply saying, this is a good title. We should do this title, and then. Um, Without that, it would never have been published by Sega, uh, whether it had Hillary or not. But graphically, as far as gameplay, the only thing I think I think that I had an effect on was was removing the uh, the Hitler mustache. I did send off several um, uh, facts to Henry to send to them, but as far as actual influence on things, um, at that time I couldn't tell whether I was actually having an effect or not until that the Hitler guy boss came up and was like, oh, right, he doesn't have the mustache anymore. Cool. Shameful, <laughs> but they might have been like pouring over every single one of these faxes or rolling them up into a ball and throwing them away. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but uh, I knew it was going to be a good title. And it, the the one sad thing about it for me is that um, 
I was leaving Sega at that time, and I signed the release papers for uh, Gunstar Heroes and um, another title you asked about, uh, Ranger X, yes. on the same day, uh, which was my last day at Sega. So then when the magazines came out and gave Gunstar Heroes uh, Game of the Year, not being a Sega employee, I wasn't invited. So I watched other producers stand up and say, I did this great title, Gunstar Heroes. Like, no, you didn't. You turned it down. <laughs> uh, so that's an unfortunate thing. And that's one of the things that um, I'm extremely sensitive about is taking credit for other people's work. Part of it is because it's been done to me so many times um, that um, I'm just really sensitive. I was at um, a golf tournament for, uh, for Sega. I was a golfer and I was working on, I had designed uh, Fred Couples Golf for uh, the Genesis. Uh, I really wanted to do a golf game. I was a big yeah. golfer. And then this opportunity to go to a celebrity celebrity uh, golf tournament came up. Nice. And all the people that played golf above me were busy. <laughs> and Clyde Grossman said, uh, what are you doing Wednesday? And I said, well, I've got this thing. Not anymore. You're going up to Napa. <laughs> and you're playing golf with celebrities. Oh, wow. Try, try not to make us, you know, embarrass us. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not a very good golfer. <laughs> But I played with some big stars. Uh, Clint Eastwood was there. Wow. Um, uh, a bunch of stars who have passed on. Uh, the one thing I, I did that I, I told Clyde I wouldn't embarrass uh, uh, Sega, but I, I kind of, I don't know if this is embarrassing or not. Um, it was at some hole, I don't remember, like fourth or fifth hole, and we're waiting. And like, like how many groups are in front of us? It's like, oh, it's like four groups in front of us. Oh, we're going to be here a while. Oh, this is terrible. So we're standing around, and this Clint Eastwood is there, and Buddy Hackett is there. He was a comedian at the time, a couple of other people. And we're just, like, watching people hit. And I'm, I'm standing next to Clint Eastwood. Now, this is pretty cool. You know, you know, so forth. And we're watching people hit. And Dinah Shore, who's, who's passed on, uh, was there, uh, a wonderful golfer. And she went to the ladies' tee and teed up her ball and hit this fantastic ball, straight and just beautiful. It's like, wow, this is an amazing shot. She just shot. And she's fairly older at, at this point. And I, sat, and I said it underneath my breath. I thought, I said, great, Dinah Shore just made us all look like tennis players. <laughs> <laughs> and Clint Eastwood is bent over and he slapped his knee. Like, so that was pretty funny. And then he walked... And he, and he, uh, he walked up to Diana Shore, which I could not do, and told her, he pointed in my direction and then repeated what I said. And she laughed and she looked at me and pointed at me and smiled. And I said, and I said yeah, tennis, that's us. <laughs> and I went back to, uh, went back to my, uh, my, my little uh, cart. And uh, Ed, who was the head of marketing at the time, looked at me and he said, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to embarrass us. You know that, right? <laughs> and I said, I... I think it was funny, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, that was that was the end of the discussion. And uh, but we had a great time, and uh, that's that's one of those memories that I, that I love. And I still have things in a box somewhere. From here, I am standing with with these stars uh, at the celebrity tournament, and I have no idea why I'm there. That's brilliant, Matt. That's a brilliant story. Um, how about the menacer? I've got to ask about the menacer because I, I'll be honest with you, I got it as a as a child. I must have been about 12, 13, and I was really pumped up for it. I thought, this is going to be amazing. Oh. Proper light gun. I, I used to love the light guns in the arcades, and obviously, yeah. oh, it, looked, it looked cool. It, there's a visor bit. I'll be honest with you, it was, it was a bit of an anticlimax. I'm sorry. I love really? the story. Yeah, it, yeah. Was that life-changing for you? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably the only child on the, on the planet that didn't think it was the greatest thing in the world. Oh, right. So, um, 
I, I of course, I have a ton of stories about the minister. Uh, I was hardware boy uh, because I had been developer support. Um, I was both hardware and software kind of guy. And so anything that came in that was hardware, I was involved with uh, in some way or another. Sometimes it was just a meeting and I would say, you know, that's not going to work with our machine, right? <laughs> or uh, they, would, they would do things and, and I would say, no, come on. <laughs> and one of them was the, um, uh, the activator which was yes. this one thing that you put your hands out. That was actually one of the first ones. They presented that to us, and I said, this is great, but you look like an idiot. <laughs> and our players don't want to look like idiots. So this is, and I'm sorry, <laughs> there's no way to make this cool. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And um, But they went ahead with the product, and uh, when we used the high-end hardware, it was fantastic. You could high and lows and all these kinds of things. You actually do a fighting games, and then we actually made the one that with production stuff. It didn't work. <laughs> so that one was not good. So when um, we got a message saying Nintendo has a, a light gun, we have to have one too. Uh, Mac, you have an open spot. You're a hardware guy. Six months. Good luck. <laughs> what do you mean, good luck? <laughs> what do I have to do? When I, well, come up with, with six games. Gotta have six games. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'll come, I'll come up with six games. So, uh, I, and I'm thinking, well, we have all these licenses. What if we did Joe Montana practice football and you, you had this gun and you would shoot off the, you know, what if we did uh, David Robinson basketball and you, and he would defend against you and you know, move the thing around and all this kind of stuff. So I did all these licenses and I presented it to Clyde and he said, yeah, we can't afford this. Oh. <laughs> he said, the royalties alone would kill us. There's, there's no way. I said, oh. He said, look, what happened to the shooting games? And I said, your only directive was no shooting games. Because Nintendo has all shooting games. You wanted something different. So that's why I did these all the other other crazy things. He says, no, 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 just give us some shooting games. So he came up with uh, one of the ideas, which was the aliens opening up the doors. And shooting that, that was one of his. Oh, yeah. And, I, and, I, and then I came up with uh, uh, all the other ones. The only one that made it from that first set was the best game, which was Ready Aim Tomatoes. Yes, that was a good game, to be fair, yeah. Uh, because that was one of the licenses. And so I had a good relationship but then the, the producer that I reported through was uh, Scott Burfield, who had done uh, Toe Jam and Earl. Yep. So he had a good relationship with them. So I met with them on a regular basis when Scott wasn't available. So I knew them. So I had pitched to them this idea. I said, you have this um, tomato gun in the original game, and we have a, a gun. Mm. What if we did some something side-scrolling, you had to shoot something, and you had to shoot tomatoes? And um, I don't remember how much I wrote, but I think that's basically what I said to them in the meeting. And I gave them like two pages of, of whatever I'd written, or, you know, a page or two pages. It wasn't very much. And they just took that and ran. And I think if you look at all the titles and if you look at the Terminator title that came out separately, yep. I think Ready Aim Tomatoes actually is a better game than the Terminator uh, game. Um, it has more depth, it has more things going on, things the way you can do the game and so forth, and graphically I think it's better. Um, and the other games were just kind of add-on things. The craziest one um, and the most fun to make um, was the reverse breakout game, and I can't remember the yes. title of that. Yes, I can't remember uh, it's my head. Uh, I know it's not burned in, in either one of our minds, for, probably for a good reason. <laughs> but I had this idea. I was actually out on the golf range, and I had to come up with a sixth title, and I couldn't think of it. And I'm hitting a ball, and I'm hitting a ball, and then it occurred to me, it's like, hey, what if I did a reverse breakout? 
Yeah, you know, that'd be kind of interesting. And I, and I, that's what I got to write. I said, I got to do it right now. So I gave the rest of the balls to the guy next to me who was completely confused. Like, <laughs> why, why, why are you giving me your, ready your basket? I don't understand. He's I got to go. I got to go. I, I have to go write a game design. It's like, right. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I ran back to the Sega office and I went into my cube and I'm, I'm, I'm writing whatever I'm writing. And Clyde is there, Clyde Grossman and, um, um, couple other people uh, are walking around this is like 6 30 at night and uh and i said uh, i said what are you doing and i said well i left to go hit some balls to come up with something you know just got out of the office and i have this great idea and i want to write it down while i'm still thinking about it and i heard about that the next day can you believe matt came back and i actually went like, well, why is it all this, this what's all this commotion about me returning to the office the office isn't locked up at night yeah <laughs> So, so, so I don't understand what the big deal is. And, uh, uh, so I, apparently it was a big deal. But the thing that I like about that title, it wasn't so much the the, the way it worked, but all the sounds are human-produced sounds. Oh. So when you hear bink or bump or all these different things, it's actually someone talking into a microphone saying bink, bink, <laughs> bump, and all these kind of things. Because I, I wanted that to be the thing, the reason people play is to be able to hear all the different sounds. Uh, and uh, I had a great time recording all these things. And I remember, um, I can't remember the fellow's name, but he did all the music for Echo uh, CD. And uh, I, I want to say Stuart or Steve or something. I'm sorry, I can't give him credit for it. Uh, but he came to me and he said, you want to do what? <laughs> and that's, that was kind of the reaction about all the manager things were, you expect us to do what? <laughs> You want us to say that? So how's that going to work? What? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I remember sitting in the in the this fantastic sound room where they did all the music and so forth. And they had it was right in the center of the of the of the development building. And this is the thing they showed Michael Jackson and the thing that they show off of how fantastic this 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 sound recording studio is right in the middle of of the development. And here we are. And I'm turning to one of the um, uh, they didn't call them secretaries, they were uh, assistants. It's like, what I want you to say is bink. <laughs> I want you to say bink four times in a row. <laughs> but I want you to say bink, bink, bink. And then we'll figure out which one we want to use. We might use multiple ones. And then the next person coming in. Or I remember walking around the office and saying, do you have a little time from one to two? I need you in the sound booth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when you lose a life, you hear a bunch of people going, ah, uh, well, that was... <laughs> Thing from the down from somewhere. That was a bunch of Sega people sitting in a, in uh, or standing in a sound booth, and I said, "When I point to you, uh, when the light goes on, I want everybody at the same time to go ah." <laughs> and one of the assistants said, "Well, can you get some motivation for this? Uh, you know, how sad? Are we? Like, oh, this is cute, or oh, this is sad." And I said, "Well, I wasn't going to tell anybody this because it's kind of an emotional thing, but." My cat died yesterday. Oh. I've had her for like 12 years and she's taken, gone everywhere with me. She rode in the car with me. It was just, uh, just the most amazing cat and she died. And I'm thinking about taking some time off because it's really is an emotional hit for me to live this, this pet has been with me forever. Uh, you know, even, even through army days, she was, she was with me. And the assistant, uh, I remember her name was Marianne. She's gone on to be a producer actually. Uh, said, really, is that true? And I said, no, I don't have a cat, but that's your motivation. <laughs> oh no! Everybody laughed and so forth, and and and, and she laughed too. And and it's okay. So that's your motivation. Cat died two days ago. Anybody else have any questions? Okay, go. 
<laughs> and we did it in an afternoon. And I think I'm most proud of that is that uh, unfortunately they didn't make a big deal out of that in the marketing of it. Mm. Uh, that this is all using human sounds because that's what really what made the game fun was that every single sound was actually produced by some human make, uh, making a sound or or uh, you know doing you know that kind of thing or you know, this kind of stuff, which was great. And um, uh, and I had a great time working on all those titles. Um, I will tell you that it was by there's a bunch of stories about it. One of my favorite ones is I actually uh, had left Sega. I was working at Atari and they sent me to Paris, <laughs> not for three months, <laughs> but for a week. And um, on one of those nights, we were at the Virgin Mega Store. And um, so I'm walking through there with the developers and uh, my French is almost non-existent and their English was about the same level. So we were having a fun time trying to communicate. And we walk into this software area and there's boxes of menacers. Wow. Just boxes of them there. And I said, I've never seen it in the store before. I guess fantastic. The first time I see it in the store is in Paris. This is great. And uh, uh, I said, I, I worked on it. I designed all these titles. You know, that's kind of stuff. And the developer's like, wow, that's really cool. And they're looking at it. I'm like, don't buy one. But it's, <laughs> but, but they're, they're looking at it. Oh, this is great. And uh, and uh, there was a very uh, attractive woman who was the, at the counter, and I said, uh, t tell her that I, I designed all all this stuff and asked me if she wants me to autograph any one of the boxes. It was a joke, yeah. but I was trying, you know, you know, you know, be funny with someone who was just you know, bored standing there. And uh, uh, one of the French guys understood what I was saying, so he says it to her in French, and she calls me over. I'm like, oh, cool, I got a, uh, I, I got a good line with a, a pretty French uh, woman. This is great. And she says in very slow English, she says, you may autograph everyone that you buy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's the greatest thing in the world. So, That's just absolutely fantastic. And I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, I had a great time doing that. When um, uh, it's, it's one of those those titles, a very set deadline, and uh, when you have that type of deadline, you you can't say, "Well, you know what? I'm going to spend an afternoon doing this, or I'm going to spend a couple of days working on this." You have to say, "I'm going to spend eight hours, and at the end of these eight hours, I have to have this game designed. I have to have this, and so forth." The only way that we're going to get this done, um, the head of Sega Japan uh, was coming for a visit, and he wanted uh, to see what games we were doing with the Minister. So I had an artist do a storyboard since we had nothing other than the text that I had written of, of every one of the games. And she gave them to me and I went over the presentation and I'm sitting in my cube and I've got a phone call. Okay, we're coming over to your area. And I'm like, well, do I need a coffee? Truck? Oh, no, no. He just wants to sit in your cube. Mm. Head of Sega Japan, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Is it's not Mr. Hasakawa, I don't think. It's going to come over. He, he doesn't speak great English. But he understands more than than uh, he speaks, so he may not speak to you. But right. he wants the presentation of all the games. I'm like, okay, he doesn't want me to stand up. He doesn't want me to conference room. He doesn't want other people there. No, he just wants to hear from the producer. Like, okay, no problem. <laughs> I can tell Tom Kalinsky to go home and not work there anymore. He's going to sit in my cube. Okay, sure, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is my shooting hand. <laughs> and uh, so he comes over and he sits down and says, you're Mac. And I said, yes, I am the producer. And I'm going to show you the six tiles that we're going to do. So I pick up these things. I walk through one of these things. And, and I don't remember the order. And I don't remember anything about it. And he said, this is very good. You may continue working. <laughs> like a very monotone. I thought, 
So if he didn't like it, what was he going to say? You may go home. Do not come back. <laughs> like, wait a minute. And uh, I don't think he would have fired me you know, if he didn't like it, but I think there would have been definitely ramifications of, of mm. the, what fool did you put in charge of this minister title? <laughs> and uh, and he said, you know, very good. And he got up and he left. And I never heard from him ever again or anything about it other than the past. Well, that's, <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I never took a vacation when I was at Sega. Uh, oh. I loved it so much that I just, I just went every day. I, I went in on Saturdays sometimes. And and, and uh, um, I just had a fantastic time being a producer at Sega. And so I never took a vacation. And then uh, HR came to uh, Clyde Grosswin, who was my boss, and said, Mac has to take a vacation. He has too many vacation days. Right. If he doesn't take them, <laughs> then he loses them. So he needs to take a vacation. So Mac came, uh, Mac, uh, uh, Clyde came to my cube and he said, Mac, after the manager sits, you're taking five days of vacation. I said, yeah. okay. I said, <laughs> I, I, said I, can, I, I can do that. I said, and that'll make sure that the product ships on time because you're going to book some expensive vacation to go somewhere. And if it doesn't ship on time, you can't go and you're going to lose all that money. I'm like, where, where do you want me to go? Wow. Care. You're just going to go somewhere. <laughs> you're not going to be here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we're working along and working along. And um, then I get a message from Clyde. You know, come into my office. Okay. I'll walk over. And he says, uh, your deadline has been pulled in five days. Wow. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? I, I, we're, we're working nights and weekends as it is. This is crazy. I'm, I'm motivating all these people. I already lost a couple of friends of this. You know, you know, people who are angry with me. This is not my style, but I had to push people and all this kind of stuff. And now you're going to cut off the week? And he said, yeah, it's extremely important. It's a, it's a marketing issue. I'm like, marketing issue? I said, I don't understand marketing issue. So I go to marketing and of course, they're not really ha happy with me because the whole Taz thing, I'm like, yeah, it's a marketing issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a marketing issue. I'm like, why is nobody looking at me in the eye about this marketing issue? <laughs> and uh, so a little bit more investigation. I find out that one of the VPs in Sega Japan is going on vacation and he wanted to take the miniature gun with him to show his grandkids what they were doing right. at Sega. So they moved the date in five days to correspond with his vacation. <laughs> Wow, that, that's, you couldn't make that up, could you? <laughs> and I said, you know, we have one bug left. I don't think the grandkids are going to find it. So I'm going to stick with the original deadline. And Kai goes, well, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> I said, I, I, we're, we're pushing people like crazy. We're going to send them whatever we have. And Steve Apoor, who was in charge of, of, of um, QA at the time, said, I don't know if I feel comfortable sending out buggy software and i said we send stuff to sega japan all the time that isn't done yeah. <laughs> that the hardware is done it's that that's not going to improve we're just finding you know in this situation we have this bug we need to solve it that's it as long as he doesn't play that game you'll never know <laughs> <laughs> and uh so we sent it off as, as as mostly complete and never heard a word of any kind of negativity we use that week to to tweak and to make the games better so can you imagine what it looked like before <laughs> and uh it was a me too product and uh it, we did six games in the controller and all the hardware um, yeah. in, in a very short time uh, working with six different developers and uh, hardware being a, a basically a seventh guy uh, and sega japan rearranging uh, all the equipment and so forth so they could put their name on it 
we had all the hardware, everything designed, all the parts ordered as far as uh, samples, as far as the actual production things. And Sega went in, Sega Japan went in and rearranged everything. Um, and uh, and so this is the design you have to use because this is Sega Japan approved design. And um, I went to the hardware guys. I said, what's different? And they said, nothing. They just rearranged the batteries here instead of here. They turned it this way. They moved it this way. There's absolutely nothing different. And I said, "Will this set this back to use the Sega Japan?" He said, "Oh yeah." And he said, "Because we have to re we have to make models again. We have to make sure everything fits and all this kind of stuff. This is going to set us back six weeks." And I said, "We never heard from Sega Japan." Wow. Got it. And he said, "Well, I'm staring at it." I said, "No, you're not." And I took it and I folded it up and I said, "We never got it. It's unfortunate. <laughs> we never got." It. The, this message from Sega Japan, and we're and we're looking at, sitting across the table from each other, and we're doing this. <laughs> so, okay, that's the way to solve it. I said, "Good, we didn't have this conversation." See ya. <laughs> and that's a, that's true, Mac. Wow, yeah. But remember that I've been there four years, or uh, three three years, or something like that. I definitely had the knowledge of what I could do and what I couldn't do. And I knew I was sticking my neck out, but I also knew that that if we missed the deadline by six weeks, uh, I'd be fired. <laughs> or <laughs> so here's my balance. Yeah. Uh, and so I said I made the decision right then. Uh, we're going to do that. No. And I don't think other than you and I and your listeners now uh, know that. Wow. Me, that developer, because <laughs> I've never talked about that in in, 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 in interview. Um, but I think. Many of the other producers ran into the same sort of thing, where where they run into an issue and they have to make a call. Yeah. And when I'm when I'm training uh, producers, I always say there's there's a certain point where you have to say I have to make this decision. Mm. I can go and get other people's ideas about things, but I have to make this decision. And sometimes your window is really small. And in that particular case, it was he and I sitting across the meeting room. Mm. And if I had walked out of there and said, "Well, let's figure out how we're going to do this." Then, then he would have said rightfully, hey, we're going to have a big delay because of this and a bit of big, much bigger issue. Or I could just nip it in the bud and say, we didn't get this message. And that was the end yep. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. Very uh, nice. yeah. So uh, the, the Minister Gun uh, is my only entry into Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, where, where I'm right there. And uh, Haven Carter named that Ready Aim Tomatoes uh, title. And uh, she she was a marketing person on it. She was the second marketing person on it because um, the woman who had it first, she and I. This is one of those one of those situations where Mac knows what he can do and what he can't do. Right. So we're sitting in a meeting and they're trying to come up with a name. And um, uh, it, to me, the name is totally a marketing thing. I'm just there to, to give some help to. to don't, they don't call it you know some rabbit eating gun you know, <laughs> you know some weird, really, really bizarre name or some connection into the game since I, I had designed the games uh, so I knew all about them so I, I was I was a representative right that's all I was supposed to do so she puts up a whiteboard uh, a paper whiteboard and says here back here you, you need to write down all the titles like uh, why, am I, uh, why, why am I writing down? I have horrible handwriting, first of all. You know, written, even today, <laughs> it looks like a four-year-old writing, so I, I, I'm not going to write this stuff down so people can read it. Plus, I also spell horribly, which was a well-known fact at Sega at that point. <laughs> Plus, I'm not the guy to write that. Well, I don't want to do it. Well, you do it. So it's like our big discussion is who writes down the names. And it's like, okay, I'll write down the names. 
Uh, I said, so since I write down the names, I basically get to decide what the name of the gun is. And they're like, yeah. And I said, okay. I wrote Max Light Gun. Anybody <laughs> else? Anybody else have anything? Anything at all? Nothing? Meeting over. <laughs> wow. Like, we can't call it that. And I said, but maybe somebody else should be having this pen. <laughs> and that's when France, the wonderful lady, said, all right, I'll do it. And, and she, like, ripped off that page and, like, threw it away. Like, hey, nobody voted against it. <laughs> of course, they were never going to name it that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, did it sell well, the man? So were you, and actually, were you quite proud of it? Were you the I did buy one. My parents did, yeah. Okay. Christmas. And well, I didn't buy one, but I I have one. Yeah. So that's two. <laughs> so that's... no. <laughs> um, no. Did you, ever, did, you, did you ever test out the Sega scope? Was it the bazooka one? Was that? Was you that... mean the Nintendo Super Scope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I played that a lot before uh, I actually started with the miniature stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I played with it quite a lot, and I thought, you know, they they have just shooting games and. With us, and that's where the idea of doing non-shooting games came from. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. that we need to say something a little bit differently, um, and uh, that didn't win the day. That was. Uh, I still think it's a, a, a good idea to have a mix of shooting and non-shooting games. That's why you have the uh, um, the, the reverse breakout game, so that it's not a yeah. shooting game. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, in the end, it was a Me Too product, and I don't know how Nintendo's sold very well, if it sold very well, but at that point, when you're going head-to-head -head with somebody, you don't want to give them an edge. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You don't want to say, say, hey, you're, you're, we have something that they don't. I mean, our big thing was, was um, um, Genesis does what Nintendo don't, right? Yes. You know, course, that yeah. marketing line. Right. You can't right. say that when they have a light gun and you don't. <laughs> so, good point. Good point. You know, so that that's really where all that came from, and uh, being hardware boy, that's what what I, how it ended up in my lap. And you know, I've said in other interviews, what I'm proud most about that is that we went from hey, let's have a light gun to a shipped product, ship ready product in six months, and uh, that's that's pretty amazing. And with groups all over the world, in Canada, and France, and UK, and the far-off country of Los Angeles, which is really different from Silicon Valley, exactly. and, and Japan as well. Uh, and to coordinate all that stuff and, and to have it come out on time is, is pretty amazing. Nice. It's, it says a lot about all the people that worked on it. Right, good on you, Mac. Um, how about Tomb Raider? I mean, is it true that you helped make sure that came onto the Saturn? Is that right? Or No, I... What's your involvement with Tomb Raider? Well... Let me make something really clear because uh, some of the things I've said have been misconstrued. Right, okay. uh, I was not the producer on the title. I w uh, other people, uh, Mike Schmidt, I think was the producer on it, and he did a brilliant job. And I was not the producer. I did. I never said I was the producer. And someone somewhere in some interview said Max said he's the producer of Tomb Raider. I'm like, no. And then I think that got back to Mike. It's like, hey, why are you telling people you're the producer? I'm like, no, I, I never did. So I cleared that up right away. So um, there's some point in my career, and I can't tell you exactly when it happened. I think it happened at, at uh, Atari Tengen, where I realized that um, I'm actually pretty good at this, va this video game thing, and I need to uh, be more assertive. Uh, when I was enlisted, and then I was, I was picked because of my, uh, my actions to become an officer. And um, I went through that officer training of, of integrity and 
when you say something, that's what you do, so forth. These are the important things that really changed um, my outlook on life. And um, I really came into the, that mode of, of, you know what, I really do know what I'm talking about, and no, I'm not going to go away while I was at, at Atari Tengen. And I, I um, won some award of excellence while I was there, so I felt I was on, on, the, right, on the right track. <laughs> and uh, so I went to U.S. Gold, and I worked with a fellow named Bob Botch, who I'd worked with at Sega. Um, he had asked me to come in for some tactical things uh, a couple of years or a year before that, they were having problems with as far as their chance getting their Genesis title to actually run, and I'd help them and solve these problems. So when it came up, they needed a manager of development. Uh, I'm one of the people that he, that he thought of. So he brought me in, and originally I was just supposed to help with development, and I'd been there about a week, and he said, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of product development for U.S. Gold in the U.S. You're just, whatever you want to do, you have carte blanche, do whatever you want to do. And the first thing I did is uh, I said, who reports to me now? We've had this conversation. He goes, oh, and he rattles off all these names. I'm writing them down. I'd met these people like a week before. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. My, who's this? What's the, oh, he, what does this person do? So forth. And I said, okay, great. And uh, so I call him individually into my office and I said, what do you do? Tell me what you do. <laughs> and so, you know, Mike Smith came in and he said, this is what I do. And I said, all right, okay, great. And I turned the page over and I said, what do you want to do? Mm. You are a valuable asset to this company. What will continue to have you stay here? Give me something that you, do you want to work with marketing? Do you want to work with sales? Do you want to be in product development? Do you want to be a QA manager? Do you know, what do you want? What's the next step for you? And how do we get you there? And that's when I started saying um, in interviews and, and, and um, various places, this, the responsibility of a boss is to get everybody up to their next level. And you want them to stay with the company, but if they get a, another job at another place where it's a promotion, that's the greatest compliment to any manager mm. is that this person's learned these skills and they're so valuable that another company has said, we're going to take you and promote you. Hopefully we stay in the company. But yeah. if there's a room there, then then you got a promotion. Fantastic. That's why when I look back at all the people that I work with um, back in those days and they're executive producer of this and so forth, I go, hey, you know what? I, I don't yeah. know what, how I helped. <laughs> what percentage and yeah. you ignored everything that I said, but I, I encouraged you mm. and I feel like th that I've helped you out a lot. And um, it's great to see them be, be so successful because they built on those things. So that's what I did. And so I went to every single person in the project development. I said, what do you do? Okay, flip the page over. What do you want to do? And then I the next day came in and I said, okay, Mike, here's the things you have to do. There are good things and there's positive things. So I'm going to take some things from the front of this page and some of the things from the back of the page. And we're going to design your job. And we read, and I went through every single person and redesigned their jobs. Wow. It's okay. You're the QA person. You're the manager. This is my expectations, but you have to do these things. So there's a balance. Things that they want to do, things that they didn't want to do. And um, part of my responsibility was to take products from uh, the, the UK office and yeah, yeah. evaluate them and say, yes, we want to do this one. No, we don't want to do this one. Every other month, I would go to the UK for uh, a week. My boss insisted that I wear a three-piece suit. <laughs> so I had this huge bag <laughs> clothes. And I, was, I, I can't tell you a number of times going through the train stations, carrying all this stuff this, yeah, uh, yeah. for a week. <laughs> and um, I was sitting uh, at the core offices in Derby. Uh, or is it pronounced Derby? Uh, I want to make sure no, I pronounce no. it. Yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, see, I knew that. <laughs> you know better than me. Um, 
And they had this woman walking around a light source in the middle of a room. And I said, what is this? And they said, well, we don't know what the title is going to be, um, but I think we're going to call her Laura Croft. Wow. And I said, yeah. okay. I said, I said, well, how's, uh, when's that going to come out? And they said, well, we think we're going to have a demo uh, in a month. I'm like, okay, great. So I went back to the U.S. and I, you know, wrote up all the things that I had said. You know, this is what I saw and so forth and so forth. And then a month went by and we got a little, little videotape demo and so forth. And I, I said, hey, this is a great title. And this one and the other one, I don't remember what it was. We don't want that one. That's probably not a good U.S. market. But uh, Tomb Raider, that, that continued. You know, we'll look forward to the next videotape or something playable so we can actually fool around with it. And I really pushed hard for the, the playable part of it. Mm. And Bosch came into my office and he said, hey, I saw that uh, Tomb Raider tape. we got to kill that. Ooh. And, I, and I said, um, well, i got to give him a reason. And he said, uh, uh, Mac, come on. We make games for boys. Right. Girl, girl character. Nobody wants to play a girl. They want to play a boy. Change it to a boy character like Indiana Jones, and it would probably be a, a good hit. But girl character, mm -hmm. and I thought that's going to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Sure, boss, you got it." President of U.S. Gold just told me to kill a title, so yeah, okay, you got it. So I filled out the paperwork for all the titles I, that I didn't want. Yeah, I filled out the Tomb Raider title, and I never sent it. Wow. So I sent off the other ones, and he came into my office a week later, and he said, "So you kill you, you kill that Tomb Raider? Not what other time?" I said, "Yes, sir. Yes, I did. <laughs> Killed it. Gone." And um, I would get packages from the UK. Here's the you know, here's this version, so forth, and and tape. And um, there are two comments that have been repeated that I that I want to make sure that I that I um, support that I actually did say. They showed a videotape of her. Uh, I shouldn't say, is that the right way to say that? They sent a videotape of, of some screen footage of her, and she's boxing some guy, knocks him over, and then she's trying to say ha-ha to him as he's lying on the ground, but her breasts are so big that really uh, you don't see her face yep. <laughs> until farther into the part of the animation where it's inhuman for her to be standing over, right? Because <laughs> she'd right. be like, like you know. yeah. and I said, you know, I saw that. I said, you know, they might have to make her breasts just a little bit smaller. For that view to make any sense, because you couldn't physically, yeah. as a human being, actually stand there and not fall over. So I said that, and that was wrong. <laughs> but they just didn't use that view. And then when we had the first playable, I said, you know, I think this is a, a B B plus title. I said it will depend so much on the uh, the levels that they create. Mm -hmm. If the game isn't fun, it doesn't matter how great your character is. If it's not fun to play, all the yeah. different puzzles, the different things, it's not going to be a great title. I said, so at that point, we didn't have a, a level to play. We had like one scene for her to walk around. And um, all this was done, as far as Bob Bosch was concerned, uh, in secret. Mm. I would wait until he was gone for the day and then call a Tomb Raider me. Mm. Or if there was something new to view, I would say, hey, let's go into my office, close the door and say, okay, here's something new to look at. And the rest of the staff, as far as I know, if I was successful, had no idea that Bob had asked me to kill it. So there's conflicting stories about, you know, well, did Mac like the title or not like the title? When Bob was standing next to me, I would say, ah, Tomb Raider, oh, oh terrible. Oh, yeah, let's get rid of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, horrible. And then he would leave. I would say, Tomb Raider, cool, let's keep going. <laughs> wow. And so there's, there's definitely conflict because 
that's the way I did that. I know I knew perfectly well that I was going against what the president of the company told me to do repeatedly. <laughs> and he was the kind of guy that would say, I don't like you, you go home. <laughs> so I didn't want to piss him off. <laughs> did did he find out? Well, obviously he did find out, but was there a big clash or how did that go down? Anything big happened? Well, he got fired. Right, okay. Um, for doing things that a president of a company should never do. <laughs> right. And I'll leave it at that. And I bought the company. And um, uh, I think one of the things that I'm proud of there is not a, uh, the Tomb Raider situation standing up for what I wanted, but also uh, my relationship with the UK office, with CORE and also the US Gold, US office, was beyond cordial. Some of those people are still my friends. Good. And uh, they were good friends there. We're, you know, time has, has made us definitely acquaintances now more than good friends, but we were good friends because they would say, Mac, we need this thing by Thursday, and they'd get it by Thursday. And I would say, I need this thing by Friday, and they would get it to me by Friday. Good. I'm the one that set up the email situation between the two offices. Uh, I said, the only way we're going to work together is if we know each other. Mm. If they're strangers, we're not going to work. We've got to become good friends. And it got to the point where we would send a box back and forth. And a couple of the producers would send like records over to the producers over here. And we would send other things back just to, because they would say, hey, you got to listen to this record. If you don't have it in the U.S., I'll send it to you. And, that, and that's the kind of thing that I point to and say, you know what? I, I, I made that possible because of, of the way I directed people in the office. Mm -hmm. I want us to be good friends with these people. Even if you, it seems difficult at first, I want you to recognize that they're human beings and their goal is to make great titles. And this is one of the things that where Mike Latham and Cindy Claverin and I totally disagree with each other as far as how we work at things. Their focus was always, how do I get my career to be better? Not making great titles. Right. Um, I'm sure Mike has his, his own philosophy of how he does things. And if you like Mike and Mike gets along with you, that great. And, and that's the one way. He has, he has been a very good uh it has been very good for us in the past. I, I just want to say that. I'm not trying to yeah. take sides, but yeah. Yeah. And um, um, so that's, and I'm also trying to like follow that line um, because it is a style. It's a way of doing things. My style is definitely make great titles and that corner office and those great cars and going to Paris for three months, those kinds of things. Those things will happen to you when you focus on making great titles. Mm. You don't make great titles. Those other things are definitely not going to happen. Um, those other people, the way they worked at Sega, definitely had um, their career as their focus, and I can't blame them. There are a lot of people that do that, and that's their that's their choice how they want to lead their lives. Oh, good stuff. Um, we'll go back to Sega quickly, if you don't mind. So, why why did you end up leaving Sega, Mac? If you don't mind asking, was there a, a lot of well, how come? And you obviously went to Atari, which is another huge company, which you know. Um, there were two events. Um, I'd been a programmer and, and I had mentioned I had a CES Design Award and so forth about eight years before I started there. And when I applied to be a producer, I was told I was the dark horse. And they hired uh, Stu Kasoy, who was a very nice fellow, but he came to me in the first week that he worked there and he said, I, I don't want to tell anybody this, but I don't have any idea how to produce a title. You've got to help me out. And what's occurring in my mind is I have eight years of experience. I'm the dark horse and they hire a guy with zero experience. Huh, <laughs> something's wrong here. <laughs> and so I produced a number of titles. I produced The Minister on time. Mm. Um, 
and all these things. And I said, I want to be made a producer. And I was told by Mike Latham, I couldn't be made a producer because the other associate producers who were hired at the same time weren't ready. And I said, why is my career tied to theirs? I have eight years more experience than they have. Why, why, why am I being limited in this way? I, that makes no sense to me. I've done all the work. I've paid the dues. I've done these titles, done exactly what you wanted me to do and faster. And I never ha don't have any blemishes on America. I've done anything wrong and so forth. No, no bad titles. What's, what's that? And I told, well, you have to wait. I said, okay, how long? Well, we have to wait till somebody else is ready. And I said, who knows if that person's ever going to be ready? I deserve to be a producer right now. And then the second thing that happened um, with Mike Latham, that uh, it's a story he knows about, so I'm not telling something out of, out of, out of uh, school or so forth. Um, I was a single guy and uh, a dating guy. And uh, one night, I packed up my Mac. I was the only one with the Mac. Everybody else was a PC. And it was a luggable. So it was not something you could sit down and start working on. I'd take it out and so forth. So yeah. I packed it up, and I'm walking out the door. And uh, Mike pops up. He said his cube was shared a wall with mine. He goes, Mac, where are you going? I said, well, it, I've got a date at six o'clock. I want to go home, take a shower, change clothes. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm on time, you know. And he said, well, we work here till 5.30. And where I was standing was right underneath the clock. And I look up and it's 5.25. So he and I stood there, stared at each other for five minutes. Right. <laughs> Literally, just this. And he said, okay, it's 5.30, you can go now. Right. And um, not being in the U.S., you might not know that that particular type of behavior is against both state and federal law. And I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I know that now. <laughs> that you, you can't do that kind of thing. And I did not report it to HR. And I should have. Um, and that's just one of many of the, the interactions that Mike and I have. We were definitely oil and water uh, as far as yeah, it's sad. It's sad to hear you two not getting along because I've had we've had a very good interview with Michael in the past. I'm really enjoying this interview. But I suppose in in work you're always going to get people you don't always get on with. Is that fair? It's it is it's what it's, it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, uh, and and I'm not saying that you know Mac is or Mac Mac or or Mike are horrible people. We were just oil and water as far as working together. Different and, personalities, yeah. And and. Um, that incident and not being made a producer, I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to go. And I happened to be talking to Bill Hindorf at uh, Atari and Tengen. And they said, we'd love to have uh, the Sega process here. Would you consider coming here? Mm. And I interviewed with them. And uh, so this, this, to me, this is one of my favorite stories about that, that process. I interviewed at a, at a building and they gave me the address. I'm like, gosh, this sounds so familiar to me. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Know, why this seems so familiar to me? And they say yeah, it's not the standard uh, Atari building. We're actually uh, in another building temporarily. Uh, I said, okay, okay. So I'm driving there, and it's in um, Milpitas, California. And I'm driving. And I'm like, wow, it seems really familiar to me. And I pull in the parking lot. I realized I'd worked in that building before. No way. Um, there was a uh, when the the video game industry crashed in '83. I took a job as a as a software instructor at Senko Instruments, where I taught Fortran which was amazing since I didn't know Fortran before I started working there. <laughs> and uh, But they knew that. And um, I was the software instructor, and my best friend at the time was a hardware instructor, and he got me the job. So I worked there for a year, and it was uh, the building was packed when, when I worked there at, at uh, Seiko Instruments. But this time, it, there was hardly anybody in the building. 
So they they bring me in, and I interview, and I'm like, wow, this is, I, I know all these hallways really well. I worked there for like a year and a half. And uh, and they said, well, we're going to the computer room. And I said, okay. And I started walking. I was like, how do you know? And I was like, because it's, it's always been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know exactly how to get in there. So. <laughs> and, uh, so they hired me, and they said, well, you're only going to be here for about a week. Oh. And we're going over to the Atari building. I'm like, okay, great. I said, so you can go anywhere you want. And uh, so I, I first I picked my old boss's office, and her desk was still there. So I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here. And I was there for about a day. I thought, no, I should be in her boss's office. What am I thinking? So I moved down the hallway about three more. It's the same size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting in Jean, Jean's old office. That's that's where you could find me. And um, in the desk drawer was his name tag wow. uh, for the door. So I put it up on the door. So people, because I they, they weren't going to make one for me. So I said, I'm in the office that says Gene on the front of it. <laughs> and I'll tell you, this, this is a sidebar story. You can cut this out if you want. So, and I started at Seiko Instruments. Uh, I, I was the video game guy, right? And, and uh, non-video game programmers hate video game programmers. That's just the way it is. They hate right. it. It's a jealousy thing. I'm totally jealous. They work on fun stuff. They get to meet, you know, uh, Vander Hollyfield and this guy puts me in a stomach and you know, I was, was going to go to Paris, all this kind of stuff. So these system programmers hate video game programmers. Um, so I'm interviewing for this job and I, I got the job and my very first day, my boss was a wonderful lady, Susan, and I was sitting in her boss's office and he says, you know, we don't do games here. <laughs> yeah, I am familiar with what my job is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, first day, I don't want to, you know, it's, Thing. And uh, and he and I said yes, I I fully understand. He said, you know, it's really complicated, much more complicated than video games. Video games are easy. Wow. And at this point, I'm like, dude. <laughs> so I said, have you done a video game? He goes, no, never, <laughs> never. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm really dedicated to learning um, the process and how the the sake the. Terminals work and to be a good instructor. And I promise in the time that I'm here, I won't make any comments about things I don't know anything about. Good, good answer. And we stare at each other for a minute. <laughs> he goes, Very well, you may leave. <laughs> so we got up and walk out, close the door, and Susan turns to me and she says, That's probably the most brilliant insult that I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> she said, he's gonna, he's gonna be working on that one for at least two, three days. <laughs> he may never talk to you again. <laughs> Out of just sheer fear. <laughs> wow. Well, Matt, good on you. That was, yeah, that was a good response. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've not always come up with the right thing, but at that point, I, 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 I'm proud to say I came up with the right thing to say. Yeah. Um, Atari, then. You went to Atari about, what, is it 94, you said? 94, 95? Right around there, yeah. So, yeah. the Jaguar was um, in production. Were you working on any Jaguar games? Because I'm a bit of a fan of the Jaguar, but I don't know if you were involved in any of those sort of games or that sort of area. You know Interestingly enough, not while I was at uh, uh, Atari Tengen at all, but while I was at U.S. Gold, uh -huh. and I've been racking my brain trying to come up with the the name of the title, and I think you'll 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 know what it is. Um, I'm hoping you'll know because I cannot remember yeah. it. Um, I have it in a box downstairs <laughs> with my name on it, so I know it's real because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I save all that kind of stuff. It's the 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 one the one action adventure game where the person was rotoscoped so all the running and so forth is, is a real person and you're jumping up on ledges and they actually really did him jump on something grab onto flashback. something flashback flashback thank you very much 
I lost sleep last night because of that. Great game. Great game. But I am I am the producer of Flashback Jaguar. Wow, I didn't realize. How cool is that? <laughs> and I got that way because it came through US Gold, mm. right? Cool to right? yeah. And um, I went out to the production team and I said, okay, who wants to be the producer on this? Anybody's, anybody's game? You all got open holes. Anybody want? No. No, 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 no. Like, well, somebody has to be. And uh, one of the other guys, Brian, pardon me, he said, I know who should be. And I said, who, who, who do you think should be the producer? He goes, Mac should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I said, okay, um, I'm the producer. And so I dealt with, uh, with uh, that version of uh, Atari. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shepherded it through all the process. And, they, and at the end, they said, do you want your name on in the credits? I'm like, well, sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, I love the title, and I, I guess I was the producer on it. Sure. So in the one I have downstairs and, I don't know, five, six other copies that were sold <laughs> for the Jaguar, probably, you know, they can find yeah. my name in, in the credits. Uh, I, I had a great time with that. Uh, can I tell you another U.S. Gold story? Oh, I'd love to hear one, yeah. Okay, so they, when I got there, remember I had carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to do, and I did I did two things that I think were the, the most memorable. Um, we had a thing where people would write in, "I've got a great game idea." Everybody, every company has this, where these letters from kids or adults or groups or all that kind of stuff. We have this great title. We want to do this great thing. It's called this, this, and like, but most companies just ignore them. Mm. But I think that to build a fan base is word of mouth. So you need to write back these people and you need to write them back intelligently. Um, and I just say, nope, bad, addicted, you know, <laughs> sorry. That's not how you treat kids. You know, no. And most of them are kids. Um, you write back, you say, hey, you know what? I like this thing and this thing. Keep expanding on that idea. It's probably not right for us, but here's some ideas to come forth. That's like one page. Mm. You can write one page, come on. <laughs> or now, you know, three quarters of a page. It's not that big a deal. Well. The way they did it at U.S. Gold is they would transfer it around to different people. And so you know, I'd walk in on a Monday and I'd see this mailbox full of, uh, oh, it's Joe's, Joe's month to handle submissions. That's why his mailbox is full. Oh, that's terrible. So forth. And I said, uh, and, and when people would call in and say, I have this great idea. Who do I talk to? Oh. The receptionist said, who, who do I send this to? I don't want to send this person every month to somebody different. I can't keep track of this. So I said, oh. I have an idea, and I stole this idea from from Sega Instruments. Pardon me, uh, uh, Seiko Instruments. They had uh, a national ad campaign that said, "Contact at this number, Terry Michaels." Well, Terry Michaels didn't exist, mm. but they would people would call in from all the country, and and the operator would say, "Well, where are you calling from? Oh, the Northeast. You want to, Terry's busy, but you can talk to Joe, who's actually a real person." And they would redirect this regional salespeople that way. But they would make it very personal of call Terry Michaels. Well, I thought this was a great idea. So yeah. I told him, I so I made up this persona called Terry Michaels. <laughs> and yeah, it still rotated to different people. But when someone would call in, the operator would say, Well, Terry Michaels is the one that handles that. That's who you want to send the letter to. Mm-hmm. But he's busy right now, so I can't really transfer the call. So, but we had a voicemail for him. <laughs> very so, cool. But, so people would call in. And, oh, I'm gonna leave. I I sent you this message about so and so. I really think it's a great game. Could you respond? You know, so forth, and all these kinds of things. And uh, it was it was just this great catch-all of this non-existent person. And uh, the head of HR turned to me at one point and said, "Is Terry a, a, a male or female?" <laughs> and I'm like, 
Ooh. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess it could be a woman. Why not? Mm. Terry. I don't know. I thought it was a man, but you're right. Terry could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we never really settled that, that question. And then I was at um, uh, a CES. I think it was not um, uh, E3 yet. I, think, uh, or I can't remember if it was an E3 or if it was a CES show. And I'm standing there and I'm in our booth. And this fellow walks up and says, I have a meeting with Terry Michaels. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought, what? <laughs> and I said, you have a meeting with Terry Michaels. <laughs> oh, yeah. I talked to him on the phone. Two o'clock Wednesday. I'm here. Talk to Terry oh, Michaels. My. I said, you talked to Terry on the phone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I said, because he didn't talk to very many people on the phone. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking, because he doesn't exist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, well, Terry's not available. Uh, but I'm I'm in charge of product development from the U.S. I'll be glad to meet with you right now. And we had a little meeting, and so and with, he pitched this title, and I said, I said, well, I'll have to go through our process. And I said, by the way, Terry Michaels doesn't exist. He's me that. <laughs> I said, I have to be honest with you. I said, I'm really, but I'm happy to look at this. I said, but don't walk around and say that you had to talk to Terry Michaels because it, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, so that was great. And the other thing I did was this, uh, and frankly, we, you know, we talk about things that we're proud of in the industry. And one of the things I'm proud of is is, is this particular interaction with Bob Botch. Um, I was sitting in a meeting with him, and and we did these monthly status meetings. And uh, uh, he says, anybody else have any new business that we need to discuss right there in the meeting? And I said, I said, yeah, you know what? I'm new to this hiring thing as a manager, so I really want everybody's input on this. Um, I've got a guy. Um, that I want to hire. Uh, he's got a college degree, um, but and another guy I don't want to hire. The equal only this one doesn't have a degree, uh, but the guy with the degree wants five thousand more dollars mm. than the guy who doesn't have a degree. But really, their skills, their personalities, they've interviewed. They're fantastic. The only difference is this guy's more expensive, and he has a college degree. And this guy's mm. not. It doesn't. Otherwise, they're exactly identical. Uh, but it's it's five thousand more dollars per year and we're watching our budget and I don't know how to balance that mm-hmm. and Bot said oh take the guy with the degree and he goes, mm. wait take the guy without the degree because he's cheaper I'm like okay I said but what if this guy gets a degree how do I balance that what if he wants to be part of a you know do I pay him more because of that oh no and I said well mm. I guess I don't quite understand why would I pay five thousand dollars more for this guy but if the company had an education program that cost $3,000, this other guy without the degree would suddenly have the degree and I'd get him for $2,000 cheaper. Mm. And there was dull silence in the room. And I said, so why doesn't the company sponsor education? Mm. Why don't we say, look, we'll pay you if you get a C or above in all these classes up to $3,000. We're getting these two guys identical only difference is degree we're getting them two thousand dollars cheaper and not everybody's going to do that so i'm going to save money no matter what how about that can Mm. we do an education program where we pay for people's schooling and uh he bounces fist on the table he goes several swear words (laughs) but i won't repeat (laughs) he said stuff he said go ahead do what you need to do we're doing an education program. <laughs> Walks up 
and then everybody you know, gets up and punches the paper on the, you know getting ready and walks out and it's just me and the hr person and i look over her and she's crying oh like, no. and i said what did i do did i do something i'm so wrong and she said i've been trying for three years to get them to do an education program wow she said, you did it in 20 minutes she said did you notice you were going to say that before you walked in the room and i said i had no idea wow i just made, I just made it up right and she said so there aren't two people and i said no <laughs> i just made up the example just so we could get an education program. Wow, really? And one of the guys that I work with um, um, came to me later and he said, it's the only reason that I haven't gone for a degree is because we didn't have an education reimbursement program. Oh, we do, I can do that. And he's one of the producers of Tomb Raider and uh, went out on great things. And uh, um, it's one of those things, you know, uh, when Stuart, when he was alive, could say, I went to Paris for three months and I could say, yeah, I said that guy to college. <laughs> I think I beat yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, that's great, and that's a what a great attitude. Yeah, we've been talking. We've been talking for two hours, and I'm sorry that I've gone way too long on the on on on, on all these stories. And I and believe it or not, these are the short answers. <laughs> oh, great time. I mean, we we better wrap it up quite soon. But this has been an amazing chat. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, what game that you worked on are you most proud of, or how, that you had some association with? Be be it any company, Sega or. Atari or US Gold or whatever. Well, you know, um, it's it's not the 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 game of the years because those things were designed like Gunstar Heroes was designed by Treasure and 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 like I said, I mean the comment I changed the Hitler mustache. Um, yep. That's nothing. I'm gonna. I, I don't want that on my my gravestone. You know, removed Hitler mustache. Just, wow, this is the greatest thing you ever did. <laughs> um, I think. The title that I look at that I that I'm most proud of is Majesty. Um, I was at uh, Ripcord Games, which was a division of Panasonic. I mean, we haven't touched on that at all. Uh, it's probably just, but it was it was an experience. And they came to me um, and said, uh, pitched a, we were on their list of of publishers to visit, and it was at the end of the day. And they came to me, and and I wasn't in the meeting. They were meeting with one of the producers, and he came in and he said, "They're pitching this title. What do you think?" And it was a not three ring binder, but it was about ten page presentation. I'm flipping through it, and I said, "Oh, they want to do SimCity Fantasy. Mm. Don't let don't let them leave the building." <laughs> mm. And I took that over to my boss, uh, Lou Viveros, and I said, "We have money to do one one title again." And he said, "Yeah." And I said, well, "I can be whatever I want to be." He said, "Yeah," and I said, "Threw it down on his desk." I said, "That's what we're doing." So it was like, "Well, we need to, we need to figure out how we're, you know, present to all these other people and get the board." And I said, "No, you just said I can do whatever title. That's the title we're doing." And Good. he said, "Okay." He said, "It's on you." And I'm like, "That's the whole idea." <laughs> and I picked <laughs> it up and I walked back into the in the meeting room and I said, "Hi, my name is Mac Senior, and uh, I'm the executive producer of your title, and you will be published by Ripcord Games." Love and they looked at each other like, huh, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> and I said, I said, we'll work out all the financials. I know you've, you know, you've got a plane to catch. And I said, I'm not worried. We'll figure this out. But you consider yourself that you have a deal. Do not go to anybody else and say that, that you need a deal because you have one with us. Nice. We're going to figure it out. We have the money. We can do it. And um, they shook my hand and uh, said, well, I guess we're going to the airport. I said, yeah. We'll call you a cab if you like. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and that was that was like they were like, what? Huh? <laughs> and I found out later that they had been to 
uh, lots of different publishers the week, and we were the last one. And it was just like a courtesy thing to their friend, and they've been told no uh, at every single place. Wow. Very much like like Gunstar Heroes. And I just flipped. I didn't even hear their presentation. I just flipped through it. I said, "This is SimCity fantasy." Duh. <laughs> of course, we should do this. Yeah. And um, um, Ripcord went through some changes. They actually hired someone um, that. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, Kelly something. And Kelly uh, had come from Utah and he had had a big sales job of, of how he would be in charge of product development and they put him in charge and um, he fired me. And um, I've never quite understood it other than it's been explained to me that um, uh, I was very experienced and they use the word powerful, which I don't think is the correct word, but a lot of influence in the company as far as what games we did and so forth and so all these kinds of things. And he didn't like that type of uh, the personality there. He wanted to be the guy. Right. So they let me go and uh, they went through all the titles and said, what ones are we keeping? We can't do all these many titles. And they sold that title to Microprose. Mm. And they kept, I'll never forget this. this, I, this I love that. To me, this is one of those ironic uh, stories. They kept the maps for a tank game. They didn't have the tank game. They had the maps as an add-on. Right. And they said, that's going to be our big seller. Well, they sold more banisters than they sold the CDs of those maps. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and um, uh, Majesty went on to sell 1.2 million copies. And at one point, there's a video out there. I've seen it. Uh, Steve Jobs picks up the Mac version. He says, this is a great game, and I hate games. Wow. <laughs> and he put it back on. He's walking through some Apple store and he just pe- man, picks up. This is a great game. And I hate games. So he put it back <laughs> on the shelf. And then they released a uh, an expansion to it, which sold another like 900,000 copies. So Ripcord Games went out of business because of no money income. And they gave away basically a $2 million seller or 2 million unit seller. Madness. That's, that's a great So story. if I look at that, that's that's the title I look at and say, you know, that was that was one that, that um, I'm particularly proud of and, and being associated with that. Good on you, Matt. Good on you. Um, a couple of final questions because it, it is a great interview. Um, you left the video game industry. Now, is it right that you're working with board games? Is that right, Matt? Can, can you go uh, into brief detail about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was actually working at a video game company and I had visions of doing uh, online card games and so forth and all these different things. And one of my friends said, well, make it online, just do a card game. <laughs> so I designed a card game. Uh, it was not successful. Uh, I believe there are more ministers sold again against the, that, that than bought the, the, uh, that game. Uh, and if you want a case of it, let me know and I'll save you one. <laughs> uh, but uh, it did not do well. Uh, but I love being in the board game industry, going to the conventions and so forth. And I've done uh, a couple of different websites for different games and so forth and been really been involved with it. Um, I had a site before the, the virus hit everybody called uh, Game Rustlers, which was all about getting groups together at game stores. Mm. And that uh, was always received well, but it's tough to get into the stores to change their procedure. And so that was going to be, I knew that was going to be a long fight and then the virus hit. And so now we're not getting together. So that's on hold, which is fine. 
but I still consider myself more of a board game guy now. Plus, nobody will play video games with me because as bad as I am at video games, I still beat all my friends. So <laughs> they don't want to play video games with me. <laughs> it's it's a sad, sad state. You know, when, when you're used to having a controller and you can do all that kind of stuff, uh, you get to a certain level where it doesn't matter what the game is. You're used to, oh, press this button. You don't have to look. You know, you just do that. And so it gives you an advantage. And uh, none of my friends are are in the video game industry, so they don't they don't want to play with me. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'd play you, Mac. <laughs> um, so Matt, honestly, a really great chat. It's been such fun. The stories have been absolutely incredible, and I do appreciate it. You know, being quite truthful and honest. And you're right; some of the stories have been funny, and some have been quite sad. But I, I really do. I just know our listeners are going to love it. So thank you. Um, You've kind of already answered this question, so you're welcome to do a second answer, so a different one, but we finish with all our guests saying, if you could share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? Well, you know, I think it, you asked me this question when uh, before when it was um, just a text uh, thing, and I think I said Tomb Raider because for the for the street cred, you know, that, that would be the Laura Croft yeah. sitting across the table from me. The difference is that if Laura Croft was a real person and sitting the table from me, no one of you would see me. <laughs> I could be naked and no one would notice. <laughs> so there's there's that. Um, but uh, honestly, I'd like to have dinner with the guys from Treasure. Mm. Um, they're not a video game character, but um, I don't think they know the story. And I don't think they know how close they were to not having that title published. Uh, and that's a group of people that I would love to sit with. Um, I'd also love to sit with the producers of all these uh, books and uh, documentaries that talk about Sega uh, and say, you know, you had that so wrong. <laughs> how it's also it's so insulting to hear Sega Japan was really supportive of Sega America. No. <laughs> uh, and the truth will come out. Uh, and I've said for several years, you know, before I forget all this stuff, we should should write, you know, in, inside Sega. Yeah. Several friends have, have said, you know what, you need an inside Sega book because as employee 63, I saw it all and all the craziness and silliness. Uh, Ken Balthazer telling me, uh, have a meeting with this guy about a football game when we had Joe Montana football and, and telling me, well, we made him $50,000. But now he needs another 50 to complete the design. And I said, well, is it going to be part of Joe Montana? Oh, no, it's going to be a different football game. I said, so oh, a right. game we can't publish. He goes, yeah. I said, so you want us to pay $100,000 for a game design that we can't publish? He said, yeah. You can't. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> this is crazy stuff. Um, and that's just, you know, we've talked for two hours, but we haven't scratched the surface no, I bet. Of, the, of the silliness and craziness and um, people walking through the office that was like, hey, that's Michael Milken, you know, the famous uh, 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 investor that went to jail and so forth. And um, uh, when um, uh, MC Hammer walked through the office and he's he's showing Joe Montana football to the producer of Joe Montana football and they're talking about some other title and they're just playing it just to have something to do. And he's beating the producer. Wow. <laughs> easily to the point where he's did some pass game and he's doing the pass and he's not even looking at the screen <laughs> uh this is just mc hammer the music guy but he played it so much that he knew the the teams and what to play and so forth and he's beating the guy who made the game without that's looking crazy. at the screen <laughs> and that's just incredible 
Uh, and those are the kinds of things that, that I think that are entertaining stories, but they don't make it into the documentaries and the books, and they really should. And it, I mean, it makes the it makes the craziness of video game development, I think, more real. Have you ever tried to approach the treasure people? Just on that quick question. Great question, and the answer is no. I never have. Um, and the the reason being is that my understanding is that they don't speak any English, so I wouldn't even know who to talk to or how to communicate with them. But I think they deserve to know the truth. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're well. I'm not saying they owe everything to you because you, you, like you said, it's a very good game, but. The chart that what well, some people regard it as the best game on the Mega, the Genesis, don't they? Some people regard it as the, the, literally the best game released for that console. It yeah. is a top game, so you, it, it's a funny. You, you're probably the person. Well, actually, you are. You are the person that made that happen. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Such an important title. Well, remember we we're talking about Taz and the Game Gear and how I upset that that marketing guy. Mm-hmm. The reason that Gunstar Heroes is on eBay for for seventy five, eighty five dollars. They only made 60,000 copies of it originally because I wouldn't change the level of Taz to make this guy happy. Yep. So when I left, I wasn't there to say, hey, you know what? This is a great title. You need to make more than the minimum number of copies. And I think it, it might have been uh, like 90,000 copies or something, like that, but they only made the minimum because the producer wasn't there to say, hey, you know what? You need to make more than that. And that's why it's so valuable on the, on the secondary market because there were so few copies of it. Um, and I have a copy, <laughs> and I have a pristine box Good. somewhere in my collection. I'm very happy about that. Um, but that's the kind of thing that um, being there and being able to say this is why this happened is, oh, I think, incredibly important for us to understand in video games today. Mm-hmm. I did um, a game at, um, at uh, U.S. Gold, pardon me, not U.S. Gold, at Panasonic Ripcord called Spec Ops. And it was by Zombie, which is up in Seattle at the time. Um, and it had been pitched to several other people. And they said, do you want this? And I said, yeah, it's a third-person military shooter. We don't have anything like that. And I don't know that anybody has anything like that. Well, the producer of the title, uh, I was the executive producer. And the producer of the title was Grant Collier, who went to uh, to the Midwest to do, um, right after that, uh, Modern Warfare, which wow. then went into Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can find a better, bigger title than Call of Duty right now. And no. uh, I don't think there would have been Call of Duty if there hadn't been Grant Collier. There wouldn't have been Grant Collier if it hadn't been for Spec Ops. I had no connection because this came up in the last time we did an interview. Uh, one of the comments was, Max taking credit for Call of Duty. I'm like, no, he's not. Mm. <laughs> not at all. I had nothing to do with Call of Duty. But you've got to look at the lineage. Yeah, the the, the chain, yeah. The chain chain is Spec Ops, and I, I I was sitting with Grant Collier. I'll never forget the meeting. I said the reason this hasn't been successful so far with other publishers is there's no shadow underneath the guy. We don't feel like we're there. Add a shadow, and it doesn't have to be an act, actual perfect shadow, but there has to be something on the ground. You have a light source over here. This is a Tomb Raider thing. A light source over here. There's no shadow. There's no darkening. There's nothing behind him. He doesn't. He feels like he's floating. Mm. Add a shadow, and you're going to love this title. Added a shadow, and everybody loved that title. And then That's those true. lessons that, that Grant learned from that, not just from that meeting, but from other things and other people that he learned from, that's what made Modern Warfare better because he'd learned all those lessons. And, and hopefully that was one of them, but I'm sure one of 100 uh, that he learned from other people. 
so I'm not taking credit for Grant. I'm not taking credit for anything. But I have to point out that that that's where that started, and that's where you learn things. And that's why uh, I can look at Gunstar Heroes, throw down the controller, and say, this is game of the year because I'd had eight years of making titles before that, and those things are all connected together. I don't think we'd have Call of Duty if it hadn't been Spec Ops. I think that's valid. Um, Mac, brilliant. Uh, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been fun. It's been entertaining. I know our listeners are going to love it. We're going to put it on YouTube as well so they can see, see our chat as well. Um, hope, yeah, maybe get you in the future as well if, you, if, if you're okay you know, down the road. A few more stories possibly. There's there's a hundred more stories. I'm happy to do a part two. Uh, I, that's the one thing I have to say that, that I was um, disappointed about when last time we did an interview is there were a bunch of comments and questions. Yeah. I couldn't respond to them. Some of them were, were negative and and because of misunderstanding of something that I typed, something that I said. So I'm happy to clear all those things yes. up. Yeah. Um, I have to say there was one fellow from Australia who said, Max Senior is the greatest producer ever. And I thought, <laughs> I don't know who that is, but gosh, I, 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 I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> who do I know in Australia? I don't have any relatives there. <laughs> We've got a really loyal, loyal, loyal listener. He's called Top Loader. He's Todd, and I think he he one of the questions he wanted to ask was, uh, well, he's, we already asked it actually, and uh, it could be him actually. If it's not, I apologise. If it's Todd, he knows. <laughs> I, I just thought that was that was just a wonderful, nice thing to say, and I I um, have a normal ego, and I appreciate that. But I I also learned a long time ago don't don't read your press clippings because <laughs> then you'll end up with too big of an ego. Are are you on social? media or anything like that. Nice. Um, I actually, uh, one of the side things I have is I own a food truck, oh, right. uh, which is not related at all. I really wanted something different, not related to video games or games, so I bought a food truck. I sell donuts and ice cream under the name of Phileas Fogg's Fabulous Confections, which is a mouthful. But uh, we just did an event actually yesterday, and it's just, you you, you uh, I don't know if you have kids or not, but the the face on a child's uh, what they give you when you give them an ice cream cone or you give them a, uh, some donuts to eat is you can't put a dollar value on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet I did that a uh, hundred times yesterday, and that's just sheer joy. Lovely. And uh, I don't have any kids, and uh, so when I do that, uh, there's a certain amount of projection, definitely. Like this is my kid, you know, making, and they just love it, and I just can't imagine anything better. So I am on uh, Instagram under Phileas Fogs or Fogs Confections. People are welcome to follow along, and uh, every so often I, I do make a video game comment because that's that's in the blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, mostly it's about the donuts and the ice cream. Uh, so that's where that's why mostly where you can find me. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look, Matt, I'll, I'll, we'll leave it there then. And um, thank you so much. And do really appreciate your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and really, two hours. I'm sorry if the, if you were thinking this was going to be a quick interview. <laughs> that's been a real pleasure. It's been by the two hours. Is, it, it feels like half an hour, doesn't it? It feels like. It does. And, and as we're saying goodbye, I'm thinking, oh, you didn't say this story. You didn't tell them this story. Oh, you forgot to say that. And so forth. so uh, hopefully uh, if there's a, the, we have a chance for a part two, I think that would be a good plan. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow 82 and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top 10s, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. 
Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.